You're a little man with a big mouth and a big chip. And I think you should be embarrassed to suggest you be anything more than a stain on the seat of Cassius Clay's trunk. Welcome to GBW Podcast, uh, episode 126. We always get off to a stunning start <laughs> with giggles. My name is Josh, and with me as always is Chris. Hello, and happy new decade. Almost. Oh, I guess it will be. It will be when this drops. Will it? Is it dropping on the first? Yes. All right. Well, 2020, 20. Well, spoiler alert, it's not the first yet. <laughs> well, a couple days out when we're recording this, another yeah. glimpse behind the curtain. Yeah, yeah. So this is the annual best of the year episode. Um, um, so the best of 2019. And um, as usual, in my what we've watched section, I've got a whole bunch of <laughs> failed to make the list <laughs> yeah. titles. I, I've probably got a couple too, I think. <laughs> as I was desperately trying to figure out what my top five would be. But I yeah. think I'm pretty confident with what I ended up with. So anyway, we'll get there in a while. Because yeah. first, <laughs> we're going to talk about, as usual, what we've been up to. So um, yeah. I guess I will start. Okay. Okay. Well, let's get one of these out of the way right away. Oh, God. That's not a good sign when you're no, like, let's get no, it out of no, the way. No, no. Pretty mm. much. Remember, remember, Josh. Remember, Josh. We don't lead with shit. No, pretty <laughs> much actually everything I'm going to talk about uh, is okay. Okay. I can't say the same. But no, what? like there's not really any quote shit okay 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 well seeing as it's the christmas season <clears throat> okay well we just passed the christmas season. well it, yeah it, it's i'm still feeling festive my trees up and all that okay it's technically the christmas season in my opinion till new year's eve happens. oh yeah and then you know i went and spent some gift cards today so yeah maybe i guess yeah, so it's still kind of yeah, the christmas yeah, okay. season so what is it i didn't hear any christmas carols at the mall today though well that stops on boxing day does it yeah i guess so <laughs> what movie I'm kind of sad that the Christmas season's <laughs> over. I always get sad when that's over. Oh. Anyway, you're right. It does kind of stop on Boxing Day. Now I, I work in retail, it. and I have to listen to Christmas music from November 12th till December 24th. So is that when you guys stop the, the Christmas music? We stop it on Boxing Day, the 26th. Do you play it on Boxing Day? No. Oh, so it's dead. Like, 24th is the last day. Then there's no more Christmas music. Yeah. Okay. So I guess we have to wait till next year to hear Christmas music again. Well, you could play it whenever you want, dude. It's just <laughs> no, people are going to look at you. Kind of can't. Yeah, people will look at you like you're a little weird, but that's you okay. can't really. This girl I know made a um, a Spotify playlist of depressing Christmas songs. It was pretty great. You know what's a great playlist on Spotify for Christmas songs? What they did one of um, uh, guy from the Cramps, Lux Interior. Lux Interior made a Christmas mixtape way back in the day. No way. And someone went and made a Spotify playlist of that mixtape. Huh. It's called Jesus Fuck It's Christmas. Really? It's really good. Oh, I want to hear that. It's really good. I want to hear that. Well, this girl had a song by Prince. Right. Um, called like Another Lonely Christmas or something. And it was about, <laughs> he was with this girl and I guess she like, well, talked about skinny dipping at the beginning of the song, but then by the and end Nick of the- Mini Tonkwa? 
<laughs> maybe. But then by the end of the song, she ends up dying of like hypothermia. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, it was pretty harsh, but it was a great song. Maybe it was his like wishful thinking about what would happen to Vanity when they split up or something. Oh. <laughs> then there was the, the John Denver drunk daddy Christmas oh, song. Yeah. Please, daddy, don't drink. I didn't know that one. Yeah, yeah, I know that and one. And then there was an Everly Brothers song about called Christmas Eve Can Kill You. Now they were great at writing like these kind of tragic. They, yeah, were, yeah. they were such a great band, but yeah. but these tragedies and yeah, this was about hitchhiking on Christmas Eve and dying. So anyway, Merry Christmas, <laughs> did, everyone. Did Rutger pick her, pick them up? <laughs> 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 All right. So what's the what's keeping in the Christmas spirit? Now okay. I'm curious. Twenty seventeen, Anna and the Apocalypse. I was gonna watch this and I never got around to it. Okay, uh, directed by John McPhail. This is a um, Scottish uh, horror comedy musical. Yeah, set at Christmas time, and um, okay, so it starts stars um, Ella Hunt as Anna, and she's a. Uh, I think they're I think they're in high school and she's like you know dreaming of escaping her small Scottish town and um, and she's got a, f- a friend named John or yeah named John who's um, you know wanting to be more than friends and they're but they're like besties um, they've got a couple of other friends oh, he's in the friend zone he's Poor totally bastard. in the friend zone and he doesn't want to be uh, a couple of other friends Steph and Chris um, and Lisa. Uh, there's also a um, kind of the the asshole ex named Nick, and um, there's a uh, kind of a jerk teacher. These those are kind of the main characters, and Anna's father. And the storyline is that um, one uh, on Christmas, around Christmas, something happens, and a zombie apocalypse breaks out. And the, the some of the characters that are a few different places, and they're all trying to get to the school to um because that's where they know the kind of survival zone is so it's one of those you know like zombie apocalypse breaks out group needs to get across the city to or the town to a safe zone um so on paper okay uh, you know i've seen it a million times but that's okay um it's a horror comedy so um you know i'm i'm pretty it takes a lot for me to like a horror comedy Mm -hmm. Um, and it was also it's also a musical. So they this is a, mo- a movie where they are literally breaking into song and dancing around and stuff. And um, I guess my thing with this is when I think of musicals, I think of Grease right. or I think of Rocky Horror or I think of, I don't know, a million other musicals that there are. But I'm, I guess I'm so thinking of like 70s, 80s style musicals. I was not expecting this to be like Glee Hmm. and I don't, I don't know Glee, but I, I like, I've never seen the show and I've also never seen high school musical, but this was more like what I think those are. So this did not have, there was something about, I don't know if maybe it's just more poppy. Maybe it's more contemporary sounding. Maybe that's what it was, but it didn't feel like, the kind of musical that I kind of like. It felt more like a TV show and it felt very kind of safe. And I didn't really like the music. I've heard other podcasts talking about this, saying how great the songs are. These are not my kind of great songs. (laughs) Like maybe they were okay, but I, um, 
Yeah, I, I was just, I was, I was kind of shocked. Like, I, I just was, I guess, I was just expecting something else and not, not this. So, the music was a real letdown for me, just because it was so kind of poppy and contemporary poppy sounding and i just i wouldn't know a taylor swift song if it bit me in the ass so um but you know the shit i hear like when i'm at the mall or in in superstore that's the kind of stuff that i think like that's the kind of pop that i just have no interest in right Right. and that's kind of what this was that being said i mean i thought anna was a great pretty fun character i really liked her she was she was kind of tough the typical kind of you know female lead in something like this that's wanting more that you kind of identify with um there's also this character steph she was like kind of like the token lesbian character and um, i thought she was a little bit of a caricature of that but i did like her character she was like kind of like the tough sarcastic girl but like all of these characters just felt so like i've seen this a million times right mm-hmm. um um i thought it actually was going along pretty well like even with m- my like not loving the music i was pretty with this for about the first half um i did not i liked the the musical numbers and i liked the storyline i thought the jokes were pretty funny there was a lot of like puns and stuff which i really enjoy and i kind of liked it when they were all apart but then there's a point in the movie where um, where the uh, asshole ex-boyfriend, Nick, takes more of a lead role. And at that point, this movie totally lost me. Like, he had a big song with his friends, and it just, i that's where I was like, oh, I'm actually not into this anymore. And then from there on, it just kept going that way. And I ended up just kind of feeling pretty lukewarm about it. And I actually thought I was really going to like this one. Um I, I, um, if, if he took the musical numbers out of this, this would have been terrible. Like I would have hated it. Mm. So I'm pretty bummed out. Like I really kind of, I, it's one of these ones where I really kind of want to like it just cause I think the idea is unique and everything. Um, because we just don't see a lot of, like, I don't know the last time we've seen a horror musical stage fright comedy and i haven't seen that one yeah that's from like 20, but that's pretty obscure like 2016 i think it is yeah or? yeah but there hasn't been a pretty there hasn't been like a decently big one in a while if ever right like i don't yeah. know so like it just it is kind of unique so i I do give them props for trying but it just felt very yeah it, it just didn't if it didn't feel as adult maybe as i well, wanted it's based it to on be. a young adult novel is it, is it based on a novel? Yeah, so that might be why. And it's, it's based a on bit... a short film, too. Yeah. And um, uh, called Zombie Musical. Um, but, I mean, I, I give them props for trying. I just kind of wished it was more. I just wish it was, frankly, I just wished it was better. Um, oh, okay. But it was okay. I mean, I liked I liked the character of Anna, like I said. Um, but it just, it just, you know, and even though there were some kind of surprising things that happened in the movie, I just... I just wasn't that engaged like with it at all. Like, and, and I think I, I don't know. I don't know what it was, but something, it just didn't, didn't really work for me, hmm. but I, I don't think I'm the only one. I think, I think a lot of people like this one quite a bit, but uh, I do feel there's a kind of a, I, I do feel other people also agree that it does kind of fall off a bit and ends. It sort of starts with a bang ends with a whimper, one of those. So too bad. Um, yeah, but that's Anna and the Apocalypse. Well, I was going to start with something else, but something you were saying about you wanted to like it, 
and then it didn't quite work the what you for what you wanted and so on and so forth kind of is my opinion of the movie i'm going to bring up right now and that's a movie from this year called scary stories to tell in the dark Mm. And uh, so based on the mucho popular kids books from the 80s written by Alvin Schwartz, which were books that I actually never really got it, like never read. I never read those either. Yeah, like you always hear people saying how they were a big part of them growing up. And I'm like, well, I think I was busy reading Stephen King and Dean Koontz exactly. and, <laughs> and John Saul and stuff like that around that time. So I probably wouldn't have picked up these books and... I mean, I I did grab the first one at a thrift store not too long ago, and I read it, and it was kind of fun, good illustrations, and just like little like goofy stories and stuff like, and then stuff taken from like, you know, are they short stories? Yeah, they're basically like some of them are even just a page long. Oh, okay. And they're just like you know folklore or myths or stuff like. There's one with the hook handed, the the lovers lane story, right. and you know there's the pinnacle one you know the worms crawl in the worms crawl out like they did that in porkies too yeah when the guy was dressed up like a zombie but that theme music actually plays a lot in the background of this movie okay so i kind of had fun with that so i was like okay i hear mixed i'm hearing more positive than negative on this so i'm gonna check it out why not it's you know guillermo del toro produced it which is always yeah. kind of a it's always kind of a crapshoot i mean i love his movies he directs but when he like produces or presents like like that while she was out movie that i talked right. about not that long ago i watched that by the way oh yeah it's uh, are you talking about it no I'm not. just give a quick opinion yay or nay uh <laughs> It was so ridiculous. Do you remember Sand? Did did you also have that issue? Did you have that issue where she started fucking him? And you're like, what the hell's going on? They didn't fuck. There was no penetration. I thought there was. No, there was no penetration. Well, there was making out. But it was. I I actually I wasn't bored when I was watching it. But it's bad. But I'm like, what's with the toolkit? Like, she's running around with this fucking red toolkit through the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, back to scary <laughs> story. Um, so I'm like, okay, well, it's a it's a big studio movie. It's geared at you know, probably early teens. Probably say like that age range of maybe 12 to 14 year olds. I'd say this is aimed at mostly. Right. And in that sense, I guess it's okay for that age group. But for someone like me, I'm just kind of like, eh. Because, I mean, if I was 12, I'd be like, yeah, it's pretty good. You know, I, right. there's stuff I watched when I was 12 that I probably would fucking hate now. Like, obviously, like I hate the fucking Goonies now. And I used <laughs> to like that when I was like 10, 11 years old. Yeah. But um, the movie opens at this in this uh, small town called Mill Valley, Pennsylvania. And right off the back at bat, it's 1968. And I was like, well, I don't understand why we're in the 60s, but okay. Opens with Donovan's Season of the Witch playing on the soundtrack. Okay. While doing like Halloween, going through the town while it's Halloween night preparations. And I'm like, okay, I'm in. You're playing Season of the Witch. I fucking love that song. You've got the your production design of making this look like the 60s in a small town with all the leaves blowing and Halloween decorations. Okay, I'm on board with this. And then we get to this movie. The problem with this movie is it probably shouldn't have come out when it came out. And the reason I say that is this is a kids with bikes kind of movie. Mm. And with it coming out 
and with Stranger Things being out there, yeah, and even Class of '84 to a smaller degree, summer of or summer of '84 yeah. to a smaller degree, this just feels like a retread because of that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's the intention, but that's kind of what it feels like because we're introduced to this girl called Stella, played by Zoe Coletti, who's this nerdy horror loving girl. You know, she's got the posters up in her bedroom of all the classic universal monsters you know and the all kind who don't fucking exist yeah those, those <laughs> kind right and her and she you know she has her pals who are you know nerdy guys too like one's the joker kid and the other one's like this and they talk on their walkie talkies and all that oh my god you know really? that that yeah. kind of setup you know kind of really stranger yeah. things it kind of right and then you know i thought the opening was pretty great and then there's a scene where the, you know, they're trying to get back at these bullies who are like the high school football kids. Right. And they sneak into the drive in to like hide from them. And what's playing on the drive in screen, Josh, (laughs) it's fucking night of the living dead. Always a warning sign to me. How many times has this happened recently? I've seen like four (laughs) fucking movies in the last three, four episodes where night of the living dead is being shown in some capacity. (laughs) And this is better than some of the other ones, admittedly. But what the fuck, guys? I mean, at least in this movie, it's set in 1968. And you can get away with it because Night of the Living Dead came out in 1968. But as far as I'm concerned, I don't think Night of the Living Dead was a massive hit when it came out. And it's a packed fucking drive-in. So I'm like, okay, well, whatever. So they're hiding in the drive-in. And then we learn about this place called the Bellows House. Which is this supposedly creepy haunted house that all the kids kind of avoid and what have you. And they end up there on Halloween night and, you know, they kind of break in and bust around and they find this book hidden in the wall that's currently written by one of the Bellows girls. And what happens is it starts writing scary stories that come true and affect all of the characters in the movie. So like one of them will be about this scarecrow that comes to life and stalks the, one of the football nerds. And one's about a ghost who wants his toe back. And, you know, it's pretty gross scene with the toe being put in some stew and, you know, and, you know, a, a story about a girl getting a pimple. And when she goes to pop it, all these spiders burst out of her pimple and right. stuff like that. So it's all these like kind of small stories that are taken from the series of books given this loose structure of, oh, the ghost is writing these stories and we're figuring out who the stories are affecting, but we have to go back to the house and try and stop this. Okay. That kind of a setup, right? And I'm like, okay, whatever. It actually sounds pretty good. Like, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. I actually was totally not interested. In the, as usual, you're fucking selling it to me. Well, <laughs> I'm not... I, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is bad. Yeah. Like, I'm just saying if I was younger... I probably would have liked it a lot. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's the scarecrow scene, which I thought was good. Um, A couple of the set pieces are okay. I found it kind of pointless that this was set in 1968. I mean, they were trying to do something about how the Vietnam War was bad and, you know, how one of the kids is like a kid who drifts into town and he's like, he's he's like a, a Mexican kid. So there's a little bit of racism and all this stuff. And I'm just like... I don't quite know why you said it in the 60s, but then I'm also like, well, maybe they didn't set it in the 80s because Stranger Things is set Mm. in the 80s and so on and so forth. So they were probably trying to 
get some form of identity by doing that, I guess. Um, there's a couple of gags I didn't like in this. Like, there's the whole, the overused 2010s horror movie thing of someone being dragged away from the camera. Oh, yeah. Under a bed, you know, like, or wherever. This happens in every fucking second horror movie, <laughs> it seems, starting in, like, 2002, 10 or something. Um, and then, you know, there's a couple of gross-out but obvious scenes, like the pimple scene, which I mentioned before. There's some so-so CG moments, especially during, like, this moment set in a, uh, a jail cell. I mean, it's a cool concept because it's about a monster that kind of comes down the chimney in pieces and then reforms itself. Okay. And then tries to break into the jail cells, but the CG's kind of poor. Yeah. And took me out of that gag. So I was kind of like, nah. And then it kind of stumbles in the final third because I just didn't find it that interesting by that point. Right. Like, I didn't find the main crux of it being, we have to go to the Bellows house and stop these stories from being written. That didn't really do nothing for me. The set pieces were okay, yeah. but the main overlay that they put on it didn't work for me that well. I was yeah. just like, whatever. I've seen this before. I'm not really that interested in it. And um, and I thought the character of Ramon, played by Michael Garza, which is the Mexican guy who came in, he yeah. comes in the picture. I thought that they should have kind of tried to explain why he was drifting from town to town and living in his car when he's like supposed to be like 15 years old or whatever. Right. And they didn't really do nothing with it. And it felt kind of didn't belong. But like I said, works perfectly fine for a genre film aimed at preteens. So why why were they trying to stop the book? Because if it was only attack was it only attacking jocks? No, it was attacking them too. Oh. Yeah. Too bad. Like it was going after all the kids in the town, yeah, basically. Yeah. So it was like the first victim is a, one of the bully jocks. But from there, it's like going after their group. Mm. So that's why they're trying to stop it. Mm. And, you know, and it's one of those redemption for a ghost stories, too. Like, ooh, lay me to rest properly and this will stop kind of thing. Right. That is another overused horror movie thing. Yeah, yeah. So I, that's kind of why I was like, yeah, you know, it's okay, but I'm not blown away by this. But like I said, works perfectly fine as a genre film aimed at that 12 to 14 range or even younger, like say 10 to 14. Yeah. Perfectly fine in that respect. Well made, like looks good. Well directed by um, uh, Andre Ovradal, who did oh. uh, Troll Hunter and Autopsy of Jane Doe prior to this. Yeah. So like a well-directed movie. Yeah. But just, you know, not enough meat on the bones for a seasoned horror guy like me. Yeah. Like for kids, like 10 to 14 year olds, perfectly fine. For me, eh, yeah. I, 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 I could have used more. Yeah. So I'm not saying it's, it's bad. I'm just saying it's kind of mediocre for me personally. Okay. So that's scary stories to tell in the dark. All right. Well... <laughs> Why don't we keep the mediocrity train going? Okay. Just because I just want to get it out of the way. Okay. So let's talk about Hellraiser Deader. Let's. 2005, 
This is the second in the Rick Boda trilogy. Ooh. <laughs> I, uh, did you coin this or is this what people call it online? This is, this is what I'm calling the it. The Rick Boda trilogy. <laughs> Has he made any other movies apart from three Hellraiser He ones? hasn't really. No. Wow. Okay. Weird. Is he He's, a special effects guy? I can't remember what his deal is. Hmm. He hasn't done much. I'll look it up while you're talking. All right. So... Kind of like I talked about in the last one. What was the last one called? Hellseeker? So, yeah, Hellseeker. Um, and the one before that. Like, we're kind of in that that kind of like the roller coaster has come down. We're kind of bumping along on those like bottom bumps near the end of the roller coaster. And um, yeah, this one is kind of like the last one where it's kind of like the whole bump is the whole small bump at the end of the coaster is the whole movie so like the last one this one starts out okay okay and then kind of just falls hmm. hard like the last one do you have rick boda information yeah it looks like he mostly has gone on to direct episodes and tv movies for sci-fi channel mm. And he also is a was a cinematographer and still does a little bit. And he worked actually for Corman and stuff like that. He made he was cinematographer on Blood Fist Three and on a movie called Final Embrace, which I remember coming out from Corman back in the early nineties. Didn't I say that he shot Demon Knight? I th- swear I said that last time. And he shot twenty three episodes of Tales from the Crypt and Demon Knight. Yeah, he shot Demon Knight. Yeah, yeah he shot. He was the DP on DP, Barbed yeah. Wire and The Glimmer Man, which yeah, I talked yeah, about yeah, yeah. previously. Okay, and, so he was a DP. And House of Haunted Hill, the 99 version. So yeah, he's got some pretty good DP credits. Yeah, well. <laughs> Just feel, not so much directing. Feeling like so, I'm getting DP'd with the fucking Hellraiser movies. but <laughs> DP'd uh, by two <laughs> centibytes. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> Um, so yeah, so as I was saying, this kind of had a little, you know, a little bit of a glimmer of hope as we were going up here and then plummeted down. So Carrie Werher, um, is the lead. Wow, there's a name you don't hear anymore. I kind of, I, you know, I like her. I, I don't know. I, Jim Wynorski hates her, but I like her <laughs> and I, I've just, uh, yeah, but Jim Wynorski doesn't like a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, but the, she's way up there. Oh, she's okay. like, Tanya, he also doesn't like Tanya Roberts. Tanya Roberts. No, her and Carrie were, are his like yeah, okay. two nemesis from, at least from what I can tell from Facebook. Um, but I, I've never minded her. You know, she's she's never... I've never been like, fucking Carrie Wurr. No, me And either. I've never been like, oh, I really can't wait to watch the next Carrie Wurr movie. But, you know, she's nice to look at. I think she can act, you know, so she's fine. She's fine. So in this one, it opens with her in a crack house. And I always get weirded out when, like, you know, these type of actors are in, like situations like that because you're just like come on and um anyway so she's it turns out she's a reporter so she's like a a, one of these like renegade reporters that like goes deep into the subject to get her crackheads would be like you're too good looking to be a crack addict yeah like you know (laughs) well and the crack house at the beginning like she's like lying on this couch it opens with her lying on this couch in the crack house and i'm like okay she could be a crack whore okay whatever and then but then she's like pulls out a camera and starts snapping pictures in <laughs> of the crack addicts. And I'm like, hmm. So anyway, whatever. 
it was it was fine. And I'm yeah, like, okay. okay, she's she's a crack or she's not a crack addict, but she's a crack reporter. <laughs> so anyway, so she um she goes she it's in she's in England. She gets her editor shows her this um, video of these they're they're what they're called debtors, and what they are is they're like it's basically like a, a kind of like a cult snuff video of um um it's showing this cult or like kind of sacrificing this woman the woman like shoots herself in the head and dies and then the the cult leader basically brings her back to life so it's this like cult of like people that can come back from the dead or something mm-hmm. and i'm like okay that's kind of interesting it was shot kind of interestingly so i'm like okay the cult leader guy, though, I immediately I'm like, fuck this guy. I can't stand him. Um, I don't know what it was about him. He he looked like, um, who was uh, Charlize Theron's ex husband's name? Stuart, the guy that was in um, Queen of the Damned. Anyway, oh. that guy. Oh, okay, I know and, who you mean, um, but I don't know his you name. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like a like a fucking Orlando Bloom, like that kind of guy, right? Like that kind of like pretty boy like british guy and i was just like fuck off and anyway i'm like you're not you just don't look like a cult leader and anyway i'm like fuck off so i knew i wasn't gonna like this guy as a villain pretty pretty quickly anyway off she goes to bucharest to investigate this story so then we get another really cool scene there's like this abandoned apartment building in fucking bucharest um and she's like goes into this like abandoned apartment it's all fucking dirty and scummy and she's like like kind of searching around trying to like figure out what you know get get the story of the debtors and then there's like this fucking corpse in the bathroom this woman who looks like she hung herself and carrie Wurr's got to like go into the bathroom and apparently like you can tell it like she you really feel that it like stinks and it's just awful in there right and then she has to like try and like get some stuff off the corpse and I thought it was, again, a very effective, dirty scene. I thought she did a really great job in this. So I was pretty with it so so far. Of course, clutched in the corpse's hand is the Leviathan or the um, Lament Configuration. Right. So she picks it up, of course. Um, then, um, I don't know, some other stuff happens um, as she's like trying to figure out what the deal is with this cult. There's some cool scenes that happen. Like there's a scene on a subway where she's like instructed to go, go to the subway and go to the last car and ask for this guy. And, and he'll like get you, tell you more about what's happening. And so the subway pulls up and she, the doors open and it's like kind of this dilapidated subway car. And there's of course this goth guy at the kind of like a, like a tough looking goth guy at the door and he lets her in. And then of course, and then it goes into like that typical nineties, like the crow aesthetic goth club oh, in the subway car, you know, so a always, goth club in a subway. Yeah. Car. So I'm like, hmm. what is this fucking turbulence three on a subway car? But, um, sorry. Whoa, that was a deep cut. Uh, <laughs> so she's like walking through the subway car and you know, there's like, there's like goths there and like they're topless and they're gyrating around and someone's getting tattooed and someone else is doing coke and and it's like all happening on the subway car and and i'm like okay but i'm still kind of with it i'm like okay this is kind of cool it's got a bit of style even though it's that 90s or i guess mid 2000s kind of depiction of goths that non-goths would do you know yeah um but i still thought it was pretty cool 
Someone's watched a Depeche Mode video. Someone's yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Or someone's watched The Crow or all the other movies that came before this, yeah, yeah, and yeah. is just stealing that style, right? But I still liked her through all this. Um, then, then we get into like a, a really another kind of neat scene where she uh, she wakes up and she's like got a knife through her, and she's in the bathroom of her hotel, and she's like trying to figure out like it's like through her back. And she, she, so she can't reach it, and she's like, got this knife going through her, and it's, I, it's hard to describe, but it's a pretty, pretty neat scene where she's trying to get the knife out of her back, and then, but then it starts getting into, is it real or is it hallucination? Oh, huh. That whole fucking oh, thing, yeah. and that's when the movie just lost me. And then, like, frankly, the last half, like, no, it wasn't the last half. I say this had a good run, kind of like the last one with um, Dean Winters, right? I mean, I like Dean Winters. And I was really kind of with the movie. And then it just goes bonkers in like trying to be all like clever. And and it just was out trying to out clever itself where I just was like lost. I was like, I don't even know what's happening anymore. And um, and then the cult leader guy returns and I'm like, OK, that's the nail in the coffin. So and oh, oh by the way, Pinhead does show up. I was for, just about <laughs> to say, where the fuck's Pinhead? He shows up, you know, a couple of times through like pops up for like 30 seconds here 20 seconds there do a line of coke in the subway (laughs) no he wasn't doing coke in the subway and then he shows up at the end of course you know for the big finale and this is another one of these ones where it was not a hellraiser movie and they uh dimension or miramax um picked up the script rewrote the script to include pinhead and it just didn't work it should not have been a hellraiser movie um would I have watched this if it was not a Hellraiser movie? No, I would not have. Um, you know, but yeah, barely well, wanted to watch it when it was a Hellraiser maybe, maybe, movie. Maybe, actually, maybe I would have. Um, if I saw that cult guy on the fucking video box, I would definitely not have. If this was just called like Deader, which I think it might have been actually, and I saw that dude on the cover, no, I would have skipped the shit out of this. Mind you, if I saw Carrie Wurr was in it, maybe I would have. I don't know. Anyway, um, the thing about fucking Pinhead, though, like every fucking movie is him at the end going, no, (laughs) (laughs) like he pops up and very quickly he's yelling no and being dispatched back to hell. Hmm. And I just don't get it with this guy. Like, like I know he's not very effective. He's a terrible fucking evil overlord. (laughs) He's like never gets it done. He shows up. And he's dispatched always with his performance review with Satan. Oh, yeah, Pinhead. Um, we're going to have to uh, give you a pay cut this year. Or you're, you're just not doing it lately. No, Pinhead yeah. would be fired by now. By now, he would you're be. On, yeah, Pinhead, you're, be, on, you're on disciplinary. Uh, you're on a disciplinary trial basis right now. Uh, we might have to, you know, get you to work some extra shifts here. Steal a few more souls. Who knows what's going to happen? Well, and clearly his sidekicks have all been let go. <laughs> because... I think this is Chatterer, like, like all those ones, yeah, Butterball, like, where's he? Where did he go? Like, remember that guy, Chatterer, Pinhead? Yeah, he did a better job than you. And, you know. know. But he's nowhere to be found. Well, I think he might, actually, I think he might sort of be in this. He got a job at Home Sense. Female Cenobites, fuck, she's been gone for... Mo- she got a job um, at Bad, Beth, Bad, uh, 
Bed Bath and Beyond or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Butterball, like I haven't, I don't think he's been around since the first movie. No. Like all those sort of classic Cenobites you think about, they they never pop up in Fuck these. Man, they didn't even bring back CD player guy from Part Three. <laughs> like, for why sake. wouldn't you bring these these guys back? They're so cool, right? Like, and they're kind of iconic. Like, I just don't understand. Like. Like if if you're gonna wedge in, you know these why they creatures? don't bring it back, Josh? They don't want to pay that much for special effects. But it doesn't cost that much. Like it's like a day's work. Like just to have, you know, I don't, I don't know. Just I, have them lurking in the background. Totally. Like that's all you need. Female Cenobite. She just needs to like kind of walk past the camera slowly. Like that's all she but, needed to well, do. Maybe they all quit because their boss was a fuck up. Maybe they're like Pinhead. You're a fuck up. We don't <laughs> really want to work a, for you. He's anymore. a total fuck up. <laughs> like is this guy ever menacing? Like in the first one, he was. The second one, it was, I, like I just, I've kind of blocked out. He's like, he's like this in the next movie. He's like, your suffering will be legend. W- wait a minute, w- w- line. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember Hellraiser two? Yeah. Like I know people love it. Like, did he have I'd, a big part in that? I don't like Hellraiser. I just remember 2. it was that doctor guy in in part two. Yeah, he wasn't. I think that's when the they started <laughs> kind of reducing his screen time. Like, why is Pinhead such an eye? Even in part one, it's the look, dude. He looks cool. That's the why. He looks great. Yeah. But man, he is ineffective as shit. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's Pinhead. <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know what else to say. Uh, um, Just say how excited you are for Hellworld. Yeah. To f- finish the Bota trilogy. Uh, yeah, I don't have much to add to this. Oh, it was produced by Stan Winston, which I also thought huh. was quite surprising. Do you do any of the makeup, though? Or the uh, shop? No, I think it's our buddy that did uh, uh, the same guy that did the last one. Fuck. Tunnicliffe? Tunnicliffe, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, anyway, I'm glad it's done. Um, it's, <laughs> like, too bad, though, because, I, you know, again, I, I was kind of okay with this movie for the first part and i do i do think carrie were i don't think she should be blamed for this one i mean i thought she was a pretty good you're lead. gonna get to a point where you're like you're waiting for pinhead not you're hoping pinhead doesn't show up in the sequels because you're like oh this movie's okay till fucking pinhead shows up oh uh, it really it really <laughs> is i've just i'm kind of like yeah i just don't really get the the icon iconography of him except for the way he looks he looks really cool but um but man um anyway yeah so i think the next one is hell Hell world. Hell world. That's the internet based one. Oh yes. I oh, I did yeah. read the back on that one. And then Just, I've only got two more after that. Nice. So almost there. Fuck man. Almost there. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> this one I watched not only to shut you up, oh, but to shut my girlfriend up. But to also have a completed collection t- thing on Letterboxd, I watched motherfucking 2009's Children of the Corn. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yes. So now, you fuckers who kept bugging me saying- I can't believe you was, watched it. You kept on being, it's part of the series, man. You totally watch it. You're doing it. I go home. My girlfriend's like, it's part of the series. Well, you if you're doing it. a series, you got to like, fucking- for fuck's sake, it's you a can't, remake. You can't go through all that and then not fucking well, do- Well, I, I watched it, okay? So- <laughs> 2009, <laughs> Sci-Fi Channel remake, <laughs> co-written and directed by Donald P. Borchers, who produced the 1984 original Children of the Corn. Movie. Oh, wow. There's some credibility. Um, uses the score from the original Children of the Corn movie at times, too. I guess being the producer of that movie, you can riff that score. Uh, opens up with a child preacher in a tent 
talking about everyone under 19 and, and everyone under 19 should die. He who walks the r- behind the rows, blah, 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 oh, blah, blah. Let's bring in a, let's bring in a pig and we'll like slit its throat in front of everybody. Bah. Then we flash forward to 12 years later, 1975. The credits are rolling. I noticed the special effects are by Robert Kurtzman. I'm like, okay. Um, and then we're introduced to an interracial couple, couple Bert and Vicky. And right from the get-go, they just seem to be fucking fighting and nothing else. They're driving <laughs> along through the, through you know the mid America, and they're just fighting the entire time. What they're, year was this? Two thousand and nine. Like I remember nothing. Yeah, the movie. I, I've seen this. I just the don't... movie is set in the seventy-five. <laughs> so Bert and Vicky, they're just driving along. They seem to be fighting the entire time, and you know, and and to to be honest, the the actors in this. We're pretty good, like bick- bickering at each other. I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm okay with this, right? And it doesn't hurt that she's pretty good looking at the same time and wearing like a like a small like yellow sundress. So I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm okay with this so far. They're bitching at each other, right? And this is the thing: if you've seen the '84 Children of Corn, you kind of don't have to see this one because the same shit happens. They're driving along. Kid comes out of the cornfield with a slit throat. They hit him with their car. Same thing that happened to Linda Hamilton and Peter Horton, yeah. the original. From Fuck. there, from there, they they you know head off to Gatlin, Nebraska, and and of course that's where Isaac has taken over this town as like this child preacher and forced the kids to turn against the parents. And uh, I gotta tell you, man, the guy who play, the kid who plays Isaac in this, Preston Bailey, fucking terrible. It's embarrassing how bad he is in this. And and then I found out that this kid went on to play like the stepson on the Dexter TV series a couple years later. Really? Yeah. And I'm just like, he's You've seen that show. Haven't you? Yeah. He's so bad in this. Like his line delivery is so stilted. Yeah. And he's just so bad. Like this is probably the worst kid preacher in pretty much the entire series. <laughs> like I, I'm not kidding. Like he's bad. Wow. Like, he makes fucking, what's his face? Uh, John gu- Franklin? John Franklin look yeah. good. Wow. And I'm talking John Franklin and Isaac's Return, Children of Corn 666, <laughs> look good. And that's something right there. So, you know, I've actually read that this is more faithful to the story, to King's story. I can't completely confirm that. Wait, you've never even read King's story? I have. Okay. But I can't, it's been a long time. I can't confirm that it's more faithful. I do know he gets a co-screenplay credit in this movie. Okay. So I know that, but I think that's bullshit. But anyway. King does? Yeah. Really? But I think it's bullshit. I think it's just tacked on there. Instead of saying story by, they yeah. just gave him a co-screenwriting credit. Okay. Um. So anyway. So, you know, the bickering goes over the top at times. It's pretty leisurely paced for the first half. There's not a lot going on. Isaac's just basically preaching to the kids and telling them to, you know, we got to kill adults or whatever. A lot of the kids look totally in unconvincing. Like there's a scene where Vicky and Bert drive into the middle of town and they're arguing and, and, and Bert's like, I'm going to go check out that church over there and see what's going on. This town's weird. Uh, stay in the car. So Vicky's in the car and along come all the children of the corn. Isaac's on the roof of the car of this building across the way, and he likes he's looking at the children of the corn. He starts pointing at them, and he does he puts his finger in a circle, and they all surround the car like his finger motion. 
And then the kids start bashing on the car and Vicky's freaking out. And the kids are so fucking unconvincing bashing on the car. I'm like, basically the director's like, got these kids who are like really nice kids in real life who have never done anything bad and gave them like a like a, a weapon or something said so go bash on that car and they're like i don't know what to do <laughs> they're like hitting the car it's like i don't know if i'm doing this right <laughs> and donald borch is like fucking go with it we the sci-fi channel movie we don't have that many takes keep going <laughs> that kind of thing right so i'm like okay whatever and then you know there's a scene of them being chased through the cornfield and, and you know and, and and fucking someone gets killed with a fucking rake like he's being chased they're chasing him with fucking rakes oh, i imagine someone like running and stepping on a rake and it hitting them in the no, face but i'm not talking about i'm, I'm not even talking about those three-pronged metal rakes i'm talking about those fan rakes there's someone chasing someone with a fan rake. <laughs> Is there a weapon that's more unthreatening than a fucking fan rake? How did they get killed with it? I don't think they get killed. I, I just think that I just thought I was I was just thinking in my head. Some if someone gets killed, that that's going to be fucking. I don't know what how that's going to work. Um, so it turns out that Mister uh, Mister Bert is a Vietnam veteran. Who is suffering from a little bit of PTSD. This is the boyfriend? The boyfriend. Okay. He's suffering from a little bit of PTSD and he starts having motherfucking Nam flashbacks while he's dispatching <laughs> children of the corn. He's killing children and having <laughs> Nam flashbacks thinking they're Vietnamese people. This happens in How this movie. How do I movie. not remember any of this? This happens <laughs> in this movie. He's literally... He's like... He's having a damn flashback and he's murdering this Vietnamese person and then it cuts back to reality and he's murdered a four-year-old boy. Like oh, he I'm, kills kids. He fucking kills kids. Wow. Like I'm like, whoa. <laughs> right? And, and you know, and then there's this really fucking weird scene where Isaac gathers all the kids in the in the church and all of a sudden they're like he's like, We've got a continue to plant our seeds for he who walks behind the rose and all this shit. And he make, he gets two of the oldest kids. They go up on front of the fucking altar in front of the church, peel off all their clothes and start fucking while all the other kids watch. I might, might remember. This and part. all the other kids who are watching, there's like this five-year-old where, you know, they're not actually showing him the nudity scene, but they told him to try and look like he's excited that he's watching sex. And he doesn't know what to do. He's just like, <laughs> and it's like, and meanwhile, it's like extended nudity because the the DVD is like fucking unrated. So there's this nudity wasn't in the sci-fi channel one. Okay. And I'm like creeped out because they're supposed to be like 15 year olds having sex. Oh yeah. I mean, obviously creepy. they're of yeah. age yeah, actors, yeah, yeah. but I'm just I'm fucking creeped out right now, and I'm creeped out by that little five year old. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 Isaac, no, don't, don't do it. Um, I mean, it, it's just like he's jumping around and so wait, are they like learning to fuck? Is no, that they're just, they're screwing so they can get her pregnant so they can continue to keep he who walks behind the rose happy. No, I get that. But why are they, why are they fucking in front of everyone? Isaac made them. <laughs> he's a little fucking pervert, I guess. <laughs> But this five-year-old, who's also, I forgot to mention, this five-year-old who's jumping around all excited, he's got a fucking corn cob in his hand, and he's waving it around like it's fucking... Ah, ha, 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 ha. Oh, I'm just picturing Ralphus from Bloodsucking Freaks. Could be. <laughs> um, so then, uh, 
it continues on to a finale with with our Bert going all Vietnam flashback on everybody and and um, you know and there's this really weird scene where where Malachi remember Malachi from the original yeah. played by Courtney Gaines yeah he's in this again that character and he's got the long red hair and everything same kind of look but there's a scene where they're chasing Bert through the cornfield. And all of a sudden, he comes across one of the littler kids. And the little kid literally gets a two-minute scene describing a nightmare he had to Malachi. And it's completely painful to watch because the kid actor can barely speak. Because he's like that age where he's hasn't learned to speak that long ago because he's about four years old. Yeah. And most it's painful to hear him hitch through his words when he's trying to give this big, long... Oh dissertation God. about this nightmare he had and it's just fucking painful you're just sitting there going for fuck's sake where's Bert to come and slip both their fucking throats and get this <laughs> over with and you know it's got a few okay moments but it's really fucking sloppy um, it gets rid of that rampaging monster that was in the first movie that's nowhere in sight instead it just putters to a f- to a boring fin- finish and uh, you know it's it's better than some of the sequels. It's no fucking urban harvest. <laughs> it's hell, it's not even a it's not even that fucking one in the apartment building with the chick who gets like the fucking corn stalks raper in the bathtub. Right. It's even it's not even that good. It is, however, better than the uh it's probably not as good as Runaway, which was one before this. Oh, my God. But it is better than the one before that. I, they're all blending together that I honestly... No shit. That I honestly can't tell you, like, what sequels what anymore. Dude, my whole takeaway from your whole thing on this... <laughs> is they all blend together? Is watch Urban Harvest. That's the only takeaway. Urban Harvest is the Avoid only Avoid everything one. else. <laughs> well, you can watch the 84 one. The first three are okay. Um, so, anyway... Hang on. I wanted to look something up because I didn't write it down. Um, so the cast, David Anders playing Bert, the Vietnam PST guy. He's okay, like I said. But I just found it really bizarre that he was just running around fucking murdering children at random. And then uh, Vicky, who, like I said, very nice to look at. Um, she's played by Candace McClure, who is actually a... Vancouver she actress. is yeah yeah and she's actually really pretty good in it like yeah. she's the best thing in it probably yeah I mean their bickering gets a little grating yeah. but at least it was something new and you know fucking Isaac that kid fuck oh my god oh my god <laughs> that kid is terrible worst Isaac ever like ever and it's just a, it was just mediocre mediocrity continues the trend of this series i don't say you should watch it but i just watch it so i could shut you fuckers up so so it's done i'm officially now done with children of the corn when i go on my letterbox and i go under the tab that says completed series collections children of the corn is now there until they put out another one. I hope you're fucking happy. Are you going to go to the annual children of the corn convention? Why? I don't know. Do people actually go to that? There's an annual Children of the Corn but, but convention. Why would, why would people show up to that? <laughs> I don't know. You telling me there's rabid fans of these twelve? I think it's. I think it might many. be where the first one was shot. Maybe I'd have to look it up. But like the first movie's uh, not that great. No, but there's like. A little cult of Children of the Corn fans that well, like get Arrow together. Video put the first one out on Blu-ray. Like, come on now. <laughs> 
I've watched 10 of these fucking movies, and I think we've established right now that I can't tell any of them apart by this point. I, I don't even know the names of the sequels anymore. You don't, and you know, and I've I've only seen the original and the remake, and both of them are like blurs to me. Genesis, that's the one. That's the <laughs> terrible one. That's the one with Billy Drago. That one fucking blows. <laughs> this is better than that. The only thing that stands out is like the dead adults at the beginning of the original. Well, yeah, the, the the cafe massacre. That's all I. That's that's all I remember. That's another thing in this movie. That cafe shows up in this movie, but just the outside of it. Oh, and it's got the same curtains from the original movie and everything because I remember that, huh? But I'm just like, you got all this potential. Did they show the massacre in the original, or was they it did. aftermath? No, they showed it. Did they? Yeah, yeah, they showed it because the kids come in and they lock the door of the diner, and then they one guy gets his hand put into the meat slicer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. That stuff was cool. That was cool. But but this one, yeah, is what it is. I mean, <laughs> it's not great. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> it just would have felt wrong to just leave that hanging. But now I can just get get you guys off my back. <laughs> That's the main reason I did it. That's good. Because I was looking on my collections, right? Because I'm like, oh, I can see what series I've watched. Oh, you're and, a fucking psycho this way, though. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, look, Lethal Weapon. Oh, look, Missing in Action. Oh, look, the Ninja Trilogy. All stuff we've done episodes on. I'm like, where the motherfuck is Children of the Corn? <laughs> <laughs> so when you on letterbox once you've watched the last one it puts the yes, whole it, series it up? put it in the collection yeah oh nice yeah that's so, neat so now i've got like i think seven completed collections on one of them's police academy so the stuff i put myself through for the for the loyal listeners of this podcast oh, so this is only stuff you've seen since i've been logging it i've been logging stuff on there since the end of 2015 Wow. And I've watched like the Police Academy series and I've watched yeah. <laughs> the Children of the Corn series and the Missing in Action series and the Lethal Weapon series and Wow. Like all series I've watched for this podcast. So yeah. I hope people appreciate all the punishment I've been putting myself <laughs> through. Holy shit. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. Well, good job. Thanks. <laughs> What's okay. next? Hey. Um Alright. Um, let's go. How many have I done? I've done two so far. You've done two. Okay. So let's do another one here. Um, we're going to talk about an obscure release from Arrow Video um, that I decided to check out because I uh, partook in their uh, moving sale that re- recently happened. Which I managed to, to resist. Oh, I did not. No, I know you didn't, but I did. <laughs> um, so this is one from their American Horror Story collection, American Horror Project, Volume One, or Volume two? One. Okay. Um, and this is a movie called The Premonition okay. from 1976. Okay. It's a movie I had not heard about um, until Arrow put it out. Um, so the American Horror Project is a regional horror movies. Um, kind of obscure regional horror movies that the arrows decided to start putting these out in sets of three. I think there's two. There's two series. So the now. other movies in the first set are what? The Witch Who Came from the Sea. Yeah, and Carnival of Blood. I think it's called. Okay, something. Like I know that. Witch Who Came from the Sea is was previously released on uh, Subversive, yeah. which was a indie label that pretty much came and went in like the span of maybe three to four oh, years. They were fantastic though. But they had yeah. such good releases. Yeah, they really did. Okay. So this one was directed by Robert Allen Schneid- Schnitzer. Um, 
don't know really much. Like the guy's only made about three movies. Um, I think one of them was called Candyland. It was a stripper movie mm. with a K. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, he um, hasn't done a lot. Anyway, so the movie opens with... Um, I didn't really know what to make of this movie either. I was I didn't know anything about it. The only reason I got it is because it was five pounds when I bought it on uh, from the Arrow sale. So it was really cheap. So I'm like, ah, I might as well check it out. Oh, was this split from the box set? Yeah, you can oh, buy them separately. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I did, yeah, so I decided to give it a shot, but I I didn't, you know, I, I don't, I don't often read things. I, I just, you know, especially on movies, I don't know if I've kind of heard it or if it looks cool, I'll usually buy it. But I, you know, it's funny because someone who grew up reading box, box covers and stuff, I, I'm just so opposed to that now. So I try and go into everything cold. I don't know why, but anyway, so I didn't really know what I was getting into here is my point. Okay, so the movie opens um, at a kind of a, a ba- it looks like an abandoned car- uh, carnival, like one of those like traveling carnivals with like the rides that go to from town to town, and it opens with Richard Lynch coming out of a trailer. And, so far, so good. And then fucking doing Tai Chi <laughs> with weird music playing. So I'm like, okay. This is really weird. This is really atmospheric. It had this weird music playing. And I was like, okay, I have no idea where this is going. And I actually didn't even know Richard Lynch was in this. Uh, Of course, Richard Lynch has been in tons of 70s and 80s movies, usually played a heavy. Invasion Um, USA, man. Yeah, Invasion USA. He was in Sword and the Sorcerer. and been in lots of cool stuff transfers too yeah he's been you you'd know him if you saw him he had yeah. the big scars very very distinct scars down his neck and stuff yeah very distinct but anyway so he's like they're doing his tai chi he's and he's playing he's a carnival clown and he takes photographs of of kids and families like you know those things that, that they have a, a carnivals where like you poke your face through and yeah, like yeah, you're yeah. a cow he's like this clown who takes photographs of them so i can't remember if he was in clown makeup when he was doing his tai chi anyway this whole opening scene was really weird and i'm like okay i'm down with stuff like this usually so let's see where this goes so we're also we're then introduced to a woman named andrea and she's this um she's this off-kilter brunette who's very very thin and you can tell something's going on with her she's she's got some sort of relationship with richard lynch and she she then goes to the school and is kind of like spying on this little girl that richard lynch kind of points out to her is is um potentially her lost daughter so this kind of crazy couple, Richard Lynch and this girl, and they're not really a couple, but they're something's going on with them. Obviously, um, the woman is goes goes to kind of stalk this little girl, played by Danielle Brisbois. I don't know if you know that name. I kind of remembered her uh, from the '80s. She was in like I remember she was on Circus of the Stars all the time. That was this. Um, do you remember that? Yeah, I remember Circus Cir- of the Stars. She, I remember her always being on that, but it's because she was one of the leads in Archie Bunker's Place. The uh, spinoff of all in the family anyway she was a little girl in this so she's this little girl this crazy andrea's kind of watching her um the little girl um it's through a fence so the little girl runs to her mom and is like mommy mommy and the mom's kind of weirded out that this like 
this like strangers watching her kid. So they go home and, you know, I think the mom's a little weirded out and shaken up by this whole incident. But anyway, whatever happens, happens. Um, the, the kid goes to bed that night. Meanwhile, Andrea or Ellen Barber and Richard Lynch um, are getting together and they, they're they clearly plotting something. And what they're doing is they're plotting for Andrea to go to the home where this little girl lives and steal her. So this the the woman like she's clearly batshit. She's like dresses up in a red dress. They go to this place. She goes um, in her red dress and sneaks into the house. Goes into the little girl's room and uh, just picks the little girl up and starts like breastfeeding her. And then meanwhile, the mom comes up and is like, "What the fuck?" And they get into a fight. And then the crazy girl, the crazy woman, like drops the little girl on the bed picks up a doll and like runs out of the house back to richard lynch and they take off and clearly she's just fucking lost her mind right like she's completely out of it so richard lynch and her go to this farmhouse and um they get into uh, some pretty heated arguments anyway as the movie progresses richard lynch um there's there's this I'm trying not to spoil too much, but I think I can. I think I can keep going a bit here. So basically, Richard Lynch kills Andrea, the the crazy woman, because Andrea's lost her shit because she didn't pick up the, the little girl. She picked up this doll, thought the doll was the little girl, was talking to the doll like a little girl, like completely lost it. Richard Lynch clearly had issues himself, kills her. But what this does is it then creates. Um, I guess the ghost of Andrea is kind of haunting the mom of the little girl now. So um, all these hauntings are happening. Eventually what happens is the little girl, um, she kind of gets lost and ends up with Richard Lynch. And then the movie becomes kind of a family drama of, of the, the, the mom trying to find her daughter where Richard Lynch has kidnapped her, but he's trying to, she's trying to find her with the use of parapsychology because you remember, this is like around the time when like Carrie was made and the fury and movies like that. So that was a big deal at the time. So they were trying to incorporate this whole like psychic element to the, the whole thing, which I guess is what makes this kind of a genre movie. And, um, and then it ends, um, with quite a unique experience, uh, and a, and a, I thought it was a pretty cool ending, which I'm not going to blow for you guys, but, um, I was really surprised by this. I, I really, really like this movie and I wasn't expecting to, um, I don't, you know, describing it, it's kind of hard to sell it sounds because kind of oddball. Yeah. It's really oddball, but it's, it's not a horror movie in my opinion. It's more of a, more of like a drama. It's not even really a thriller, but it's, uh, just kind of a drama with supernatural elements, I guess, is a way to put it. But the performances were all really good. I mean, Richard Lynch is always good, um, and he's pretty crazy in this one. Um, the mom, like, not the crazy mom, but the other, the real mom is, well, not, I guess, not the real mom. The Anyway, the normal mom is played by Sharon Farrell, who, um, she was the lead woman in It's Alive, mm-hmm. and she was also the mom in Night of the Comet. So we've seen her around as, as genre fans. Um, don't know much about the crazy woman, Andrea, but she, uh, played by Ellen Barber, but I thought she was really, really um, quite uh, quite effective in this role. She's only done another movie called Blood Bride, which I haven't seen and don't, don't really know anything about. 
The father is played by Edward Michael Bell, who was in Jim Cotta. It's kind of the only thing I know him from. Um, but yeah, very striking visuals. Um, and it's, um, yeah, it's just more like a fucked up drama, but, but with really, really good performances, a pretty unique ending. Um, and yeah, I, I, I liked, liked it quite a bit. I feel like this is kind of a hidden treasure. And I think that's the whole point of this arrow putting out these movies is like, they're, they're pretty obscure, but, um, you know, I, I have learned to trust this label. That's for sure. And, uh, yeah, I thought this was really, really quite good. So yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it. So it's called the premonition from 1976. Sounds almost too weird for me, but <laughs> it's pretty weird. Yeah. It's pretty weird, but it's, it's by good. The Richard Lynch. Richard Lynch is great at this movie. Yeah. Like, you're, you're kinda, and this is young Richard Lynch. You like, kind of can't go wrong with Richard Lynch. I don't think as a crazed clown. Like, yeah, it's, it's pretty great. And I like car- I like that kind of carny culture. Yeah. And I like weird music and I like practical um strange effects and uh you know I usually wouldn't go for a, a movie with like psychic phenomenon like that's not something I usually gravitate towards but yeah this is really well done. Hmm. Yeah. So I'd recommend checking it out especially if you can get it in a sale like like I did. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, let's see. I'm going to do uh, this is a an actual documentary uh, directed by Jason Baker. Uh, was completed in 2015, but only just made its debut on Shutter about a week, two weeks ago, max. Uh, it's a movie called Smoke and Mirrors: The Story of Tom Savini. Mm. And uh, so this is um, obviously a documentary about effects legend. Tom Savini, who we dedicated an episode to way back in episode three, I think it was. So, oh over my god, was that twenty that? episodes ago? That was our first like featured person. I think so. It's wow. quite a while ago. Um, so this one starts off with this this kind of cool kind of intro where it's like, you know, it's kind of set up to be like a, a circus sideshow where it's the stage with the curtain and our host comes out and and it's. Doug Bradley, who plays Pinhead oh, no. in the Hellraiser movies, but he's, you know, dressed in his suit and tie and looking all dapper. And he kind of does a quick rundown of Tom Savini, like he's an actor, he's a director, he's an effects man. And then it just shows little clips from some of the stuff he's done. And then it kind of goes into a rundown of who Tom Savini is and his career. And it's a pretty good rundown of his life and career and there's a lot of really fun good stories from Savini himself and there's a lot of fun like behind the scenes FX footage like VHS tapes that obviously were provided to the director by Savini that were like you mm. know we're do we're testing this effect let's get it on t- on camera and all that like all that stuff and that stuff's pretty fun but I mean Really, I I know a lot about him already. So, I mean, I didn't get much from this, to be honest, that I didn't know. Um, I remember the Scream Greats tapes in the 80s. So, you know, that's kind of the thing. Um, But, I mean, there's a moment in the middle where it's kind of like a greatest hits reel, where it's like basically showing all the big moments from his effects work that anyone who's a self-respecting genre fan would already know. Yeah. You know? Friday the 13th, Maniac, uh, Prowler, you know, all those ones. Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, you know, Night of Living Dead 90, all the stuff that <coughs> you would know him from. 
and then it goes into his movie career and and you know eventually this falls this falls victim to two things that I find in a lot of these newer documentaries and I I kind of talked about it when I chimed in on that life after flash one mm. briefly when you were talking about the documentary last episode yeah. um the boogaloo shrimp one yeah where you know it, these have a tendency to sputter out by the end, a lot of these, where they they focus on the career and the build-up to the career, and then when they get to the part that's about modern day, they just sputter out because there's really n- not enough interesting stuff there No, to kind of keep you engaged. Whereas by then, you're like, well, maybe you should have just done a cutoff point. Yeah. You know, like, just say, okay, Savini, he kind of stepped away and hasn't done a lot since this year. So we'll kind of cut it off there. You know, we can do a postscript, like a text thing saying, in the years since so-and-so, yeah, he yeah. stayed active in I his totally agree, yeah. makeup effects school and stuff. Instead of just, you know, I don't, I mean, great. <clears throat> You're showing me footage of him being a great dad to his kids. And he quit the effects world to look after his daughter and stuff like that. Mostly like to be a single parent. And that's great. Great. Good on you, Tom. Like, I I respect that decision, but I don't need to see a big 15-minute sequence in this documentary talking about that particular. Right. Like, when I'm watching a documentary about Tom Savini, I want to see the stuff about the movies. Yeah. You know, I don't really want to see that stuff. And that's what happened with that Life After Flash. I don't want to know that Sam Jones has discovered religion and is good like his church respects him and he's a good dad and all that like good on him but i don't want to know that i'm yeah. watching an entertainment documentary yeah you know that's not something that i find would be interesting to your target audience particularly um it's then- so funny people don't get that because the thing too is that when you're looking back at this movie 20 years from now like everything all the postscript changes again yeah so you're right like just leave it at a period because whatever the stuff about his dad like who knows what's gonna happen in the 20 years yeah like just cut it off cut it off you're you're totally right yeah and that you're right they all feel the need to like wrap this up like almost like like they've got to like like Tom Savini, in my opinion, knows who he is. Yes. He knows he was a great effects guy. Yeah. I don't think he needs someone to pander to his, no. and he kno- uh, uh, and you know, how, what, what a great daddy is. Like, and, and he knows that, that genre fans love him. Yeah. Like, he knows that. And I think he appreciates the fact that, you know, there's to this day, <laughs> there's people who think he's like the greatest effects guy that ever lived. Yeah. He's not stupid. Yeah. But, I mean, we don't need to see that stuff. Like... If he stopped really doing a lot of his work after From Dust Till Dawn, like after, if he slowed down after From Dust Till Dawn, cut it off at Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. Or cut it off a little bit later. But, uh, you know, like if he hasn't been that active, just do a, do a text postscript. That's yeah. all you got to do. You don't need to keep it going. Yeah. Because most of us who are watching this aren't there for that stuff. Yeah. We're here to learn about, oh, when he was shooting Maniac. You know, wh- how did he do this? Or Yeah, totally. You know, why is this happen? Like, how did he get this? And, and it does some of that, but not quite as much as I wanted. And another thing that I find a lot of these newer documentaries fall victims to is the convention interview. Which is where I went to a con. 
I basically went up to everyone who was every celebrity oh, that was yeah. at the con and said, what do you think about Tom Savini? Yeah. You know, I don't like that. Like I, I so there's like people in the background. Yeah. And I, like it's just, you can hear their, crowd noise they're at their yeah. table with their banner behind oh, them fuck, talking yeah. about Tom Savini. And it did the same thing in that life after flash documentary. Yeah. It's like, I get it. It's maybe it's an easy way to get interviews is just go to a con and say, well, hey, I'm sure it's an easy way. Hey, I'm making yeah. a documentary about this guy. Do you want to, you know, but at, it just reeks of unprofessionalism to me in a way. Oh, yeah. yeah. If you're trying to make a documentary, it just kind of makes it feel cheap. Well, that's the thing. I mean, we could go go and do 20 interviews if we wanted to go to like Fan Expo or Crypticon or well, exactly. Calgary Horror. But yeah, it just feels cheap. It, yeah. cheapens, the, it cheapens your movie's production yeah, values yeah, yeah. and it cheapens the validity of your documentary to me personally because yeah. it makes me feel like you didn't really put that much effort into it in a way where if you're looking at like you know maybe it's not feasible to do it this way but you know when you're watching like a really good professionally made documentary like those you know crystal lake memories or you know never sleep again or something like that where they have all their interview subjects with the same backdrop or a similar backdrop in one s- contained setting, no distractions going on in the background. So you can focus on their stories and their, and their importance to what they're talking about. Whereas if you're seeing someone at a convention and they're talking and it's a snippet of you saying, Oh yeah, Tom Savini is great. Blah, 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 blah. You see some jackass in the background or something, right? It totally, yeah, invalidates everything in a way. It well, even on most DVD special features, it's in a controlled setting. Yeah, it's like you, you yeah, you kind of need that control. There oh yeah, that's lazy. Because if my, you uh, don't have it, it 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 makes your production values look cheap. Yeah, it really does. And I mean, I get it. Not everyone can afford to have a backdrop and get all these people in one location. But I mean, if you're if you're going to a convention to do your interviews, isn't it possible you could maybe reach out to the promoter or whoever mm-hmm. and say, hey, I'm making this documentary. Do you think you could set aside a quiet space for me or something where I can maybe do these brief interviews for this documentary? Yeah. And I feel like you wouldn't get that much pushback about that. No. You know? Like, I feel like people would be like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. So I and I just think it would add this layer of more professionalism to your product. No, I agree. Is what I'm saying. Like I'm not saying this isn't a decent documentary. Like for what it is, it's decent, but the production values are a little roughshod at times because of that convention thing. It does not need to go as far as it goes in the end. But the thing is, the reason this is worth seeing if you like Savini is because he's so engaging. Yeah. Like even in the interviews on this, he's just super engaging. Like he's a he just seems like such a cool guy and the stories he tells are just really fun and just like really, you know, interesting. It's just when he talk when they're talking to other people at conventions about him, that stuff's not really that interesting. Yeah. Like any jackass can be like, "Oh yeah, Tom Savini, man, I love his effects work on Friday the 13th. He's a legend." Yeah. Any jackass can say that. Yeah. You know? Like Anyone can say that stuff. But you mean when you got the stories coming from him and I mean, and there's stories, you know, like, yeah, I know he's Tom Savini was a, was a 
a photographer in Vietnam and got to see all these atrocities and I know this stuff already. Yeah. And I mean, and it would be boring if it was just a narrator talking about it. But when Savini's talking about it, yeah, it's like somewhat new in a way because it's his experiences. Yeah. And it's from his mouth. Yeah. So that stuff I like. It's just these lazy convention interviews and stuff. I don't like that particularly. Yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, and, and it made me sad that like this debuted four years after it was made and George Romero gets interviewed and that just made me sad. Mm. So, but uh, for what it is, I mean, if you have Shudder and, and you like Savini and maybe, maybe you're not as much of a fucking nerd as I am and you don't know as much about him. It's a good primer. It's 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 a decent primer to learn about the guy and and maybe if you're if you're haven't seen some of his older work like if you haven't seen The Burning or something like that, you know, you'll see <coughs> scenes. Yeah, I know Josh, you haven't seen it. But you know what I mean? Like if you haven't seen The Burning or if you haven't seen Maniac or something, maybe you'll see these scenes and be like, "Ooh, I think I want to see that now." Or maybe you'll be like, "Ooh, that Night of the Living Dead he made in 1990 actually looks pretty good. Maybe I'll watch that now." Yeah. I mean if it suits the if it if it manages to do that, like if its purpose is to do that, I'm all for that. It's just I think it could have been a slightly elevated from what it is. But if you have shutter, check it out. Why not? Nice. So smoke smoke and mirrors. Cool. Um okay, I'm gonna do a pair. Okay. Um just which pair. Alright, let's knock these two off. These are the other two. Um these are another two that I thought might make my list that did not. Okay. Um, so I'll just go through these pretty quick. The first one is called Triple Threat. It's from 2019, of okay. course. Directed by Jesse V. Johnson. Um, he's done a bunch of like low budget action movies. Um, like he's done like I think like four or five Scott Adkins movies. So he's that kind of director. Yeah. So now the reason I was excited about this one is hot on the heels of my favorite movie last year, The Night Comes for Us. I was I've been pretty into these um, Asian kung fu action movies um, because I think there's some pretty amazing stuff coming from over there. So you know there's they're they're hit and miss, but you know especially after The Night Comes for Us, like it was just such a just such a kick ass movie. I was waiting for the looking for the next one of those. So this one seemed like a perfect candidate because the cast is Tony Jaw, yeah, of course from Ong Bak, Iku Uwais, who was in The Night Comes for Us and has been in uh, the Raid movies and like a total awesome action star, Tiger Chen, he's been in some uh, Chinese movies. Uh, probably no, most notably, he was the star of the Keanu Reeves directed Man of Tai Chi. Right. Scott Adkins. Yep. And Michael J. White. You can't really go wrong with Scott <laughs> Adkins at this point for me. Personally. So yeah, I'm like, look at this fucking cast. Like, yep. how is this? How can this not be amazing? I think I actually have this on Blu-ray. But I haven't watched it yet. I think so. It's on Netflix. Yeah, I think I bought it at at Walmart for like $14 on Blu-ray because I saw the cast. I was like, ooh. It is such a killer cast. And how this movie ends up not being very good is Mm. beyond me. That's a bummer. It's a real bummer because I was pretty stoked about this movie. And um, yeah, so it's it basically opens with it. It opens with a kind of a confused 
Um, I th- I don't know where where it was actually. It was some sort of um, these mercenaries going into this village um, to oh they're they're going into this village to because Scott Atkins is is a bad guy and he's being held there. So they're breaking into this village to to get him out. Um, of of captivity, and so the mercenaries are led by Michael J. White, and they include um, they include um, Tony Ja and Tiger Chen. Eco Oasis is a villager there, so these mercenaries go in, they shoot up everyone in the village, including Eco Oasis, kill Eco Oasis' wife, um, bust out Scott Atkins, um, but then um, Michael J. White basically turns on. Tiger Chen and Tony Ja and leaves them for dead as well. So basically they're left for dead. Um I think that's what happened. Anyway, and 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 uh, Eco Oasis is also left for dead. Okay, so then it cuts to like the city and sorry, I know I'm I'm sounding confused because I am. This movie is confusing. So we we cut to the city, there's some like woman crime lord and this other woman who's trying to stop her and somehow um scott atkins and michael j white are going after the woman who's trying to stop this crime lord remember they're mercenaries uh equal away sort of somehow joins up with them as kind of a like a an informant and then tony jaw and tiger chen are kind of trying to save her so it's really it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, like why all these people come together. And then like live seriously, like the whole movie, I'm kind of like not really clear on what the objective is. It's one of those movies where you're just like, what's, what's happening? Like, why am, why am I am supposed to be invested in the plight of any of these people? Like the only one I could kind of get behind was eco awaits. Cause I'm like, okay, his wife got killed. Got it. He's out for revenge. Got it. Easy. But the the other stuff that's going on here didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, there's a woman involved named uh, Selena, uh, played by Selena Jade. She's um, she's the woman that they're trying to protect. Um, Michael Bisping, he's an MMA fighter. He's one of the goons as well. And it's just base. It's pretty much just scene after scene of chases, but not good chases. They're just kind of standard chases through the streets running around and then the last like half an hour is like shootouts and fighting but not good shootouts like the night comes for us what made that such a fucking awesome movie is that every fight in that movie was kick ass exciting fucking violent and you liked all you were like super into all the characters and like the revenge and like you just really bought into all those guys and it was just everything had stakes like you just it was just so fucking good and this one it just all felt just sort of run-of-the-mill who cares you know why are you know what one thing that kept crossing my mind is like why are they shooting guns so much with this cast yeah like these guys should all be like fucking one-on-one combat right like they shouldn't be firing guns at each other like what the hell is going on so um yeah it was just not playing to the strengths of its of its cast and and what it could have been. So yeah, this was a huge letdown for me. I thought this was going to be 
an amazing movie and it mm. just sucked. And I guess that's part of part of just having, you know, a good director. I mean, no, not knocking. I mean, this was a serviceable low budget action movie, but this was not on, on the level of what it, it should have been. Mm. So that's triple threat. So that's, that's a bummer because I think I bought this. Yeah, I, I'm I, I, I'm glad I don't own it. I, I watched it on Netflix. I mean, I remember I talked about Revenger a few weeks or a few yeah, yeah, episodes yeah. ago. It's another Netflix action movie. Yeah. And I was a bit down on that one. That was way better than this okay. one. Yeah, this was a real letdown. Okay, I'm going to um, follow that one up with another one that this is one I, I was almost sure was going to make my list, but it did not either. And it's a movie called The Perfection. Right. And this is from 2018, um, but it was released on Netflix this year, or 2019. Yeah, this is one I, I'm curious to watch too, but I haven't got around to. Okay, I'll try and keep it um, non-spoilery. Uh, directed by Richard Shepard. Um, he made a movie in the 90s, I think, called Oxygen with Adrian, um, Adrian Brody, which I thought was a decent movie and more uh, tyranny. Um, and it was about, uh, it was kind of like buried. It was like one of those, like someone's buried alive and they're, mm. they're trying to save them. And he also made a movie called The Linguini Incident with, with uh, Bowie? David Bowie and yeah, yeah, Rosanna okay. Arquette. So, um, but I hadn't really heard much of him in years and I didn't really, hadn't really heard of him. At, I just know I liked that Oxygen movie. Anyway, so he's popped up on Netflix this year with this movie, um, so it stars Allison Williams um, from Get Out, playing a woman named Charlotte. And it also stars Logan Browning as a woman named Lizzie. Logan Browning, um, she's the star of some show called Dear White People. And she was also in the, in the Bratz movie that came out like 10 years ago. So the two of them are like, um, they're like cello, cellists. Yeah. And they're like... Um, um, what do you call it? They're like naturally, I can't remember the word off the top of my head. You know, they're maestros. They're gifted as not maestros, but oh. they're, they're gifted as, yeah, okay. as, as cellists. So like, they're the best in the world. Let's like put it that way. Okay. They were trained by Steven Weber, who plays this guy named Anton. Um, you know, Steven Weber from the show wings or, um, the shining remake, the TV movie yeah. and, uh, or, uh, the Dario Argento, uh, masters of horror episode the called Mick Jennifer Garrett shining as I call it. Yes. <laughs> um, and, Al- and his wife is played by Alana Huffman. Um, so the movie opens with, um, um, Charlotte played by Alison Williams. Her, she's been taking care of her sick, um, mother or aunt or something and anyway the aunt passes away so she's like free of this burden of of taking care of this she basically had to give up her career to take care of this woman the woman dies so now she's free to like kind of get back her life i mean like she's in her early probably early to mid 20s so she decides she's gonna go to i believe it was uh tokyo or maybe china to um check in on because she was trained by um, Stephen Weber, so she goes to goes there to see where those guys, what those guys are up to, and um, just see what's going on in the cello world, I guess, or in the, in that classical music world. So she heads off there. Uh, she pretty quickly um, meets up with Lizzie, um, and they they like you know do a performance together, really bond over music and stuff like that, and then. Um, 
some shit goes down where um um just some I, I really want to keep this one quiet because it's just there's so many things that happened in this movie that it was really cool to go in clean but just some shit goes down and uh you know bonds are tested and and um you know everyone's kind of put into question um there's some really cool like uh, kind of like trippy effects that happen um there's a bit of a revenge story going on um but i really don't want to reveal a lot if that makes sense right um but what i will say about this is it the very the first half an hour this is fucking awesome like i was so into this movie for the first half an hour and then it totally shifts and the last hour i was not nearly as excited as i was in that first right bit and it's it's a very very solid shift like a complete shift from where it was going um so i i just um i mean it's got a lot of twists and turns um but i just it just it just never lived up to the promise that it was kind of starting with but it's still i mean i think uh allison williams is pretty great she was awesome in get out she's awesome in this so that's two movies now where she's pretty much carried the movie i mean i I thought in get out i thought she carried the movie and i think the same in this one i thought she was awesome Steven Weber is an interesting guy because I always think of him as a comedy actor, but man, this guy can be a real creep if he needs to be. Um, and this, you know, just kind of shows some of that like behind the scenes stuff of like, of, um, you know, prodigies. That's what I was looking for earlier, you know, child prodigies and kind of what they go through to get there. And, and um, I do find that stuff quite interesting, but you know, it's just, this is one of those ones that popped up on Netflix. No one really knew what it was. And, you know, it started getting a bit bit of a buzz. I know Vince, that's been on the show a number of times, really loved this movie. Yeah. And I thought I would. And I I didn't hate it by any stretch, but I just, it just wasn't in that top five echelon. Like, not even close. Like, I wasn't even considering it. But it was a, it was a fun watch. I enjoyed, I enjoyed watching it, but it's not one I'd want to buy or that I think I'm going to be going back to over and over over the years. But it's definitely worth a look. So that's the perfection. But right. uh, I don't want to say too much more about it because... Yeah. It's got a lot of, yeah. Yeah, I've it, heard that it's best to go into that one. Definitely a little best bit blind. to go in pretty blind. So yeah. I, I like I've been avoiding anything about it as well. But I, I'm still gonna watch it. I mean, even if you, even if it's not a glowing review, I'm still interested because it just seems something a little unique for Netflix to put out there. Well, it's the always world, hard so. at this time of the year too, because you're looking for that. Yeah. You're looking for like one of the best of the year. So you're like going into it th- hoping, okay, this is going to be one of the best of the year. So then when it's not, it, it kind of feels like a bit more of a letdown than right. if I just watched this in the middle of July. Yeah. Right. When I'm getting I, ready for a year end episode. I, I, I don't think I had that much of a problem as you this year. Cause I think mine was spread out through the whole year, but oh, I, get, I fucking struggle every but, year with this, but I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I'm going to make this one quick because this is a movie you recently watched and gave a uh, pretty glowing recommend on. And I decided to check it out. And that's a little movie called The Corpse of Anna Fritz. Oh, really? Yeah. Directed, that doesn't seem like a Directed by movie. Hector Hernandez Vicens. And like you said, I'm, I'm just, I'll gloss over the, um, the plot real fast. Because I believe it was last episode you talked about this. 
or maybe two episodes Yeah, but I ago. did not talk about the plot at all. Well, I'm just going to yeah. gloss it over. Basically, it's what Josh said. Uh, movie opens with news reports about actress Anna Fritz, who's died, and this is going on as she's being wheeled into the morgue. From there, we introduced into to a guy called Pav, who's the mortician there, and he basically calls his two friends up and says, hey, Anna Fritz is here, and they show up, and, you know, one's this sexist douchebag called Ivan, played by uh, Christian Valencia, and then the other guy, Javi, played by Bernat Sarrell. I'm sorry, I'm probably fucking the names up. And then, you know, things escalate from there into a little bit of the necrophilia thing that Josh talked about, which is probably going to be kind of a deterrent for a lot of people but like you said i totally agree with you on this it's not handled in a way that makes it offensive like i didn't find it to be very graphic at all particularly and 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 it's not just about that like you said right like there's stuff that goes on that goes on in this movie there's enough stuff going on in this movie that you once you get past that part even if it's kind of a uh I'm not too sure sticking point, which it kind of is with me. Yeah. I was able to get past that. Yeah. So you're completely and utterly right on that. Nice. Like you can get past that. You just, you know, it, it it's, it's fucking morbid. Like that whole idea is morbid. Yes. We're not denying that, but it goes to other places that goes above that morbidity. Yeah. If that makes sense. Um, so, um, you know, I, I this is a, a very a very well directed movie. Like I thought Vicens had a good grip on building suspense and having moments of suspense, like near misses and things like that. Where even though I felt that a lot of the, the thrills in here were kind of something I've seen before. Like it, it's it's nothing it's not treading that much new ground when no. it comes to stuff like no. that. But this is a tight 76 minutes yeah like this doesn't really waste much time in going from where it starts to where it wants to be yeah. like there's not a lot of fat no. in this like there's not a lot that you you'd need to trim to get this movie to where it needs to be um completely solid performances all around uh especially valencia's ivan i fucking hated him from the minute <laughs> yeah. he showed up on screen yeah and i hated him through the whole fucking movie yeah so that right there is the sign of a good performance to me um like like an example of that would be um when i watched the series breaking bad uh the actor who played hank Anytime he showed, um, uh, no, my, what's his name? Norris is Dean, his last, oh, yeah, Norris? the brother, the brother, the brother. Yeah. Anytime he shows up in yeah. anything I'm watching, I go, fuck you, Hank. <laughs> it doesn't matter what he's in. <laughs> so that's good performance. This is kind of that where this guy, I fucking hated him from the get go and it never changed. Yeah. My opinion of him never changed. Um, you know, and, and you know, it, it, it does go a few ways you're not expecting it to go, like you said, but I don't want to, again, I'm like you, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, uh, but it is, it does have a lot more going on under the hood than it might want you to believe it does when you're heading into the movie. Totally. Uh, that's all I'm going to really say. Um, I thought it was solid. Like, I, I thought it was quite enjoyable. Um, I thought it was a pretty good discovery. I'm glad you pointed us, to, pointed me towards it. I know one of our listeners, uh, Adam has yeah. also watched it and yeah. really enjoyed it too. Yeah, he did. Um, but like I said, it's a tight thriller. It's not a horror movie. 
It's a it's a tight thriller. It, it goes directions that work in the context of the movie, and uh, yeah, pretty much a a, a a a Spanish movie that's not called Wreck that I can recommend to everybody because <laughs> there's not a lot. Well, and who can kill a child? But there's not a lot of more modern ones that I can think of off the top of my head that I would say go check out. Yeah, but this is on Tubi. Yeah, it's short. It's free. <laughs> it works. Yeah. Go watch it. It's worth it. Nice. It's worth seeing. And uh, as a as my last passing thing, and I'm going to say this, and it's not a spoiler, but Josh will know what I'm talking about. I'm going to say one word, and that word is scissors. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. <laughs> All right. This is uh, something else, this one. Um, I decided... You know, as I do sometimes to see what's coming off Netflix. Yep. I noticed that the new Paul Schrader movie, Dog Eat Dog, was coming off Netflix. Oh, the cage one. From 2016. And I, I didn't know what this was. I'm like, ah, directed by Paul Schrader. You know, a bit uneven director, but a bit of a loose cannon. But hey, he's cast a loose cannon as his lead with Nicolas Cage, as well as Willem Dafoe. So I'm like... Oh, how shit. can this really? I didn't know Willem Dafoe was in it. How can this go wrong? Okay, and then I'm like, okay, and then as the credits are rolling, I found out it was based on a novel by Edward Bunker. So I'm like, okay, who's of course was uh, one of the criminals in? Um, he was in Reservoir Dogs, and then I think he wrote Straight Time. So this is a guy, a guy that's actually been to prison, like right. writing crime novels. So this is based on a novel by him. So. <laughs> So Paul Schrader is definitely not a politically correct dude. I mean, the guy wrote uh, what Taxi Driver. Yep. <laughs> uh, he's you know I think he did did he do cruise did he write cruising? But he's done like he did hardcore like he's yep. done he's he's not afraid. He did the fucking canyons with Lindsay Lohan. Like he's not afraid to like do like be a pretty against the grain and. Um, so this movie opens with uh, Willem Dafoe and like Willem Dafoe in like at playing a character called Mad Dog. And the opening scene of this movie is him in an apartment or in a house fucking doing dr- so many drugs. He's super coked up. He um, <laughs> he's just doing more and more drugs this woman comes in this kind of like large larger woman comes in that's i guess his girlfriend who he's trying to trying to like crash at her house and um she's like i don't want you here fucking get out of here and she's also got a daughter who's also you know a little overweight like these they're kind of like a it's it's looking like a total like trailer trash right mother and daughter right? right for lack of a better term so there they come in and he's all fucking coked up and he's like, please let me stay here. I just, yeah, I just need a place to crash for the night. And, and, uh, they're, they're like, no, 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 you're not going to stay here. And then the daughter goes up to her room. Anyway, fucking Defoe then just decides to fucking kill the woman and then goes upstairs and shoots the like teenage daughter in the head through a fucking pillow and then goes and looks in the mirror. And it's like one of those, like all those, like, 
like the face is all twisting because oh, yeah, he's okay. all fucked up on Who drugs. Who am I now? And it was just the opening of this. Like, I don't know if I'm explaining it properly, but it was like just so like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, yeah. I was just like not expecting this crazy opening. And it was super fucking violent too. And I'm like, okay, well, okay, I guess I'm, I guess we'll see where this goes. And if, you know, Defoe so far is like the totally stealing the show. And, um, it, it's basically Defoe and Cage playing a guy named Troy and this other guy named Diesel played by Christopher Matthew Cook. They're all recently out of prison. So they decide they're going to like um, start doing some petty crimes <laughs> and they uh, and they're doing them. They're doing like little robberies and stuff to you know try and make ends meet. But they're they're like, oh, we got to like get a bigger score here. So they decide to like partake in this kidnapping scheme where they're kidnapping this um, baby of this mobster. And um, I'm like thinking, oh, Christ, is this going to like turn into like some stupid like comedy or something with these thugs trying to take care of like a baby? Don't worry, everyone. This is a Paul Schrader <laughs> movie. You don't have to worry about that. So that's the the plot is they're going to cl- kidnap this baby. But um, I can tell you, don't if you're worried about these these guys dealing with a baby throughout the movie don't don't worry (laughs) you don't have to worry about that it just it goes sideways and then it just turns into the three guys basically on the lamb and then they start kind of turning on each other but you got to remember that defoe is completely fucking nutso so he's ready to fucking go off at any moment this christopher matthew cook he's He's a pretty chill dude. Like, I really actually liked him, and I don't really know anything about this guy. Um, But I thought he was really, really good in this movie. And he's just, he's, you can tell he's got a violent streak through him, but he's pretty mellow through it all. And then Cage is just trying to keep it together, you know. But he, um, you know, at one point, it goes into this total, like, surreal meta, like, scene where he, like, starts doing, like, a Humphrey Bogart impression because he thinks he's Humphrey Bogart. So don't worry, Cage fans. Like, <laughs> even though he's pretty restrained in this cage movie. Cage is at his cagiest. He, you know, he's not Mandy's at his cagiest. But yeah, he, but you know what I mean. He's pretty restrained in this, he but he moment. does have his moments. And um, I actually thought this was one of the best roles I've seen him in in quite a while. Um, you should watch Mom and Dad. <laughs> I gotta watch Mom and Dad. You're right, but I don't. I don't like him when he's completely off the rails. Right? Like I, yeah. I think he's actually a really good actor. He can be. And I think too many people are capitalizing on this yeah. crazy cage yeah. thing. Whereas in this one, it was Defoe that was the crazy. And I thought it was really neat seeing them together too, because of course they were both in Wild at Heart together, which is one of my favorites. And uh, it was kind of I, I was kind of imagining it in, in a way like, oh, this is what happened to Sailor. Like, you know, if if Defoe had kept going and um, which he, of course, did not. Um, there's like weird scenes in this. There's like <laughs> there's a slow motion montage where the three of them are in a hotel room for like no fucking reason squirting ketchup and mustard on each other like just it's <laughs> one of those movies in slow-mo no less it's slow-mo but i um i dug this movie it's this is a complete um mix on people are very very mixed on this so i think a lot of people hate this movie but i just i like i i still i always have liked those post tarantino and it's so weird to be saying post tarantino 30 years later right i mean tarantino's been around long enough 
that you know crime drama has been a genre ever since tarantino just kicked it up a notch with pulp fiction and and um reservoir dogs but i mean we've been living with those movies for long enough yeah that it's just become its own genre now right it's just that kind of hyper crime movie which which doesn't necessarily need to be like the godfather these more about petty criminals and i do like this style i always have and i i dug this quite a bit i thought i was quite surprised by it because i didn't know what to expect and i was you know just from the little like picture on netflix i was expecting you know cage to be crazy cage and defoe to be like a cop hunting him down or something no no defoe is right up there with him if if surpassing him as far as like unhingedness goes and i i I thought it was definitely worth a look i like paul schrader i i think he's um he's probably a real asshole to work with but you know you just never know what you're gonna get with this guy and you also know it's not gonna be sugar-coated well he he also wrote raging bull and uh he did and rolling thunder he did you're right there's those two as well on his resume but uh i didn't know defoe was in this Oh yeah, I feel like if I would have known that, I would have watched it. You I might love, still have time. I, I love Willem Dafoe. Yeah, so yeah, I, I might have to check it out if it's still on there. It's I mean, crazy, and it's like well, this is from 2016. There's like it's fucking violent. There's like nudity. that's weird because the year after this, he would made that first reformed movie with Ethan Hawke, which oh, was yeah. like getting all the Oscar buzz. <laughs> yeah, that's not this. <laughs> that's weird. And there's like swearing. Like it's huh. just it's like an hard R, right? Oh, like, okay. Yeah, it was it was definitely it's definitely worth a look. I might have to check it out. Yeah, dog uh, eat dog. Okay, so my next one <laughs> is another movie that you've talked about in the past that oh, I wow. decided to check out. It's a 2019 movie. It's a movie called Crawl, directed by oh, Alexandra Aja. So directed by Aja, uh, produced by Sam Raimi. Um, basically what this is, is uh, uh, this girl called Haley, played by Kea Scaldalero, who is a swimmer at university. Uh, she, she lives in Florida, finds out there's a Category 5 hurricane on the way in and decides she better go check on her dad to make sure that he's okay and, you know, that he's getting out of the hurricane zone. Uh, so from there, she drives towards his house and it, everything feels appropriately wet and desolate and dangerous right from the get-go. Aja really kind of nailed that for me where I'm like... Fuck, it's miserable. It's like you're in Vancouver or something, but a little (laughs) little bit worse or whatever. And so she ends up eventually tracking down the dad, played by Barry Pepper, who is a guy I really like for the most part. Like, nobody really talks about him that much, but I really like Barry Pepper. I mean, aside from, like, fucking Battlefield Earth, I do like Barry Pepper. Like, I think he's he's a pretty good actor. Um, So she finds him injured in the crawl space under the house but then also finds that there's fucking alligators in the crawl space under the house so it just becomes this efficient lean pretty claustrophobic setting for a creature feature like a nature run amok movie where the hurricane's coming in it's flooding the basement the alligators are out to get them they have to try and escape things keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse my head goes holy fuck this is ridiculous but damned if i'm not having a good time with this with it being fucking ridiculous i'm like oh they got out of this situation oh never mind now this has happened (laughs) um it's just one of those movies where they just keep piling on so much ridiculous shit and you're like i really shouldn't be liking this because my logic sensors are being like this is stupid and people are doing stupid shit in this movie constantly 
but I'm still having a fun time with this. <laughs> and I think a lot of the credit for that has to go to Alexandra Aja, to be mm-hmm. honest. Because when this guy keeps his genre fair simple, he delivers. Yeah. Like, think of it. How, uh, his 2006 Hills Have Eyes, his 2010 Piranha. Yeah. All these movies that are just, they're just really basic, simple. We're just here to give you some popcorn thrills kind of movies. That's when Aja's at his best for me since he moved to North American movies. Yeah. Like, this is where he delivers what I want. Yeah. And and this is no exception. Like, like I thought the... Um, I thought the CG alligators were actually pretty good. Yeah, and you know I don't good. like CG, and even I was like these these alligators actually look pretty good. I'm I'm not upset at this. Like, it works for me. Um, I thought some of the attack set pieces were pretty good. The the scene with the cops I enjoyed. And, yeah, you know things like that, and and you know and. I just was like, yeah, I can excuse a lot of the dumb shit in this movie just because it's like an eighty-seven minute movie. It it hums along fast. It you know, Aja knows how to keep things tight and suspenseful, and the monsters are chewing on people. There's blood flying everywhere. There's fucking <laughs> big hurricane waves coming in and blowing people all over the fucking place. There's a cute dog who you don't want to get hurt through this whole movie, <laughs> and you know, and 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 it's like. And you've got a lead actress, uh, uh, Scaldolero, who actually I thought was pretty kick-ass in this. Like, I thought she was yeah. a very solid hero in this movie. I thought she did good with... I mean, some of the shit she did was dumb, but I thought she was really solid. Like, I don't, I haven't really seen her in anything before this, Yeah. but I thought she was really solid in this, and I thought Barry Pepper was pretty good, too. Like, their interplay was, was decent enough that I was like, okay, I want both of these people to live through this movie, and... I want them to beat these alligators. You know, it's that kind of thing. Um, it's just kind of like a... Uh, it's just kind of like... Uh, when I was watching this, I, two movies popped into my brain when I was watching this. The first one was a 2010 movie called Burning Bright. Yeah. Which is a movie I really love, which I think nobody has seen, really. Yeah. Where it's the same kind of thing. A hurricane's coming in. A girl and her... Autist, I think he's autistic something's up with them. Yeah, yeah. He gets locked in the house with, they get locked in the house with a tiger. Yeah. And, and uh, that's a really good suspenseful kind of movie. Very similar to this and ridiculous and ridiculous <laughs> at times. And then, uh, and, and much like the shallows from a couple of years ago, like from 2016, yeah. it's just a, a simple, well done survival horror movie that if you put your brain in check at the door, you're due to have some fun with this. And yeah. I, I did. I really enjoyed watching this. I thought it was super entertaining. If it wouldn't have got so ridiculous in that last, that second half, this probably would have been a contender to get on my top 10 list of the year. Oh, really? Because I was really, really digging it until yeah. it started getting a little bit too ridiculous. Yeah. So, I mean, but still, solid entertainment start to finish. Um, I like it when Asha sticks to more straightforward... I'm here to just give you a couple jump scares and a couple gore scenes and stuff like that. I like it when he does that stuff. And uh, like I said, I thought Scaladero was was really good in the lead. And uh, I found it interesting that uh, she took on a different type of home invader in a movie called Tiger House from 2015, which mm. is one I've always been curious about. And I know used to be on Netflix, but I think is off there now. Mm where she plays like the main girl who 
you know, she there's a home invasion at her boyfriend's house and she they don't know she's there and she has to fight back. Yeah, I've so, been curious about that one too. Yeah, so it's yeah. kind of like that. But yeah, I, I recommend Crawl if you're into cre- into like, you know, nature run amok kind of movies and you're into ridiculous horror cinema. You can't go that much wrong with this. I actually really enjoyed it. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I I think you liked it more than I did. I, I mean, think I did. I uh, I mean, I, I don't know if the theater hurt this one, maybe. Um, I, I kind of be curious how it would have played on at home because I went to the theater and yeah. saw this one. I also knew it was also one of my most anticipated for the year, yeah, right? And, it wasn't for me. So. Yeah, yeah. So I no, think, but I, I thought it was a lot of fun. So yeah, I cool. mean, that's all I I went into it thinking. It's a hurricane. It's giant croc. It's it's alligators. At least deliver fun. Yeah, and it did totally. I mean, it's the best hurricane movie I've seen in the last couple of years. So, <laughs> I mean, we've got Hurricane Heist, right? So, you know, but it, it, I recommend it if you're into these kind of things for sure. Nice. Okay. I decided to go back to the 80s and watch a little movie called Private School. For girls. (laughs) That's what it says on the poster. That's true. Private School, dot, 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 for girls. (laughs) Did you watch, uh, did you buy the the new Blu-ray of it? Uh, I did. Oh, I I have the Universal DVD. DVD. Yeah, so do I. And I have it on VHS twice. Um, 1983. It's been a long time since I've seen it, though. Yeah, directed by Noel Black. Um, probably no, notable for doing a movie called Pretty Poison that I talked about a few episodes ago with Anthony Perkins and Tuesday Weld, which was a thriller. This is a full-on teen sex comedy. Probably one of my favorites. I'd probably put this in top five, hmm. maybe, of the era. I don't know if I could go that far. I've seen it enough times. Like, it's one I've gone back to repeatedly. And um, whereas some of the other ones I have not. Um, But I, I, you know, I think we'd have, we have to do an episode on on teen sex comedies, I think. Um, But I've just, I just, I've gone back to this one a few times. And like I said, I've owned it on multiple formats. And I didn't, I, maybe I didn't used to like this one, but it's definitely grown on me quite a bit. And it's also got one of the best um, kind of, there was always like the overweight comic relief dude. Um, in this case, it was Michael Zorick playing Bubba. And uh, who he was in this and he was in Hot Moves. And when I think of that caricature, I think of Michael Zorick. And I think that that says a lot because that caricature was in pretty much every sex comedy i have to admit i probably think of steven first do yeah i don't right up and creek up the creek and uh animal house okay yeah. yeah yeah and i think of this guy yeah so okay so the movie opens um uh, with a harry nelson song um that has the words fuck you in the lyrics which i thought was pretty pretty entertaining and then immediately goes into a stray cat song rock this town and um, immediately goes into our three heroes, uh, Bubba, Michael Zorek, um, um, Matthew Modine playing Jim, and their their other friend who <laughs> I didn't write down. Um, and they're like trying to climb a ladder so they could peer into the girls' dormitory and maybe get a glimpse of some naked boobs. So Animal House. Yes. So they're. Um, they're they're actually they're actually not on a ladder they're actually on each other's shoulders right 
And but that's where it's taken from. Basically. Is that scene taken from Animal House? Yeah, and Revenge of the Nerds and everything else. Well, yeah. Well, Animal House probably did it first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so. Bluto up on the ladder, right? Yeah, the Belushi character on the ladder, looking in to see him undressing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they're the the main thing they're watching is they're watching Betsy Russell in the shower. Um, Betsy Russell, of course, probably one of the icons of this stuff. Um, she went on to be in the Saw movies, but um, she was in this. She was in Tomboy. Yeah. Um, and she was quite quite the looker. Um, so, yeah, it opens up with this, you know, this pretty funny scene and uh, and this great music and Betsy Russell's boobs. And, you know, so you, you can't really go wrong. Um, then we, you know, get interest, uh, introduced to the headmaster, Prudence, who's, you know, like the typical headmaster of the girl's school, who's, you know, pretty repressed. And, um, you know, then there's like a dance that happens and, you know, like the repressed headmistress and the teachers don't want the students to be too close together. But of course, hijinks ensue when, you know, Michael Zorick's running around with his per- permanent boner and Kathleen Wilhoit is there as, as a, kind of his, his horny girlfriend, who's also probably the coolest girl in the school. Phoebe Cates is there, of course, fresh off of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Um, Sylvia Crystal shows up playing a sex teacher, hot off the heels of probably private lessons. Um, we've got, uh, of course, and you know, I, I know I briefly mentioned Matthew Modine, but I mean, this guy's become a really great actor, and he's most recently been in Stranger Things, but. You know, he went on to be in Vision Quest, which both of us liked. Um, then he was in, you know, Saving Private Ryan as, um, oh no, what was his name in that shit? Anyway, very famous, very famous portrayal in that movie. Not what did I just say? Saving Private Ryan, fucking Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. Jesus Christ! Uh, but Matthew Modine is fucking awesome, and he's been in in a lot of great stuff. Um, and this is a very early role for him. Um, we've got a, we've got choreographed cheerleader dancing with Paula Abdul as a choreographer. And you can see her, um, in some of the, um, sequences with the cheerleaders. You can see, actually see Paula Abdul dancing around there. Um, we've got fucking, um, Ray Walston showing up again, hot off the heels of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. We've got cheesy romance. Um, we've got Brink Stevens showing up in a shower scene, along with Linda Weissmeyer, who I know Chris had a crush on after seeing the movie Wheels of Fire. Yep. And she was also in Malibu Express, um, the Andy Sidaris movie. So she's also in a shower scene. So it has like the, this is probably, again, one of the, aside from Porky's, this is probably the quintessential 80s shower scene was in this. We've got the fucking people dressing up in bloody drag i don't yeah, know I'm why surprised you said this would be why? top five with that always team. do they need to be doing this i don't fucking understand it it's not funny and in this one in particular one of the characters dresses up in drag a second time but there's no context it's really weird but um i actually didn't mind the drag scene in this even though it was kind of like fuck like i again i don't get the humor um Phoebe Cates actually tries to sing. She does two of the songs on the soundtrack. Also on the soundtrack, we've got Vanity Six show up um, doing Nasty Girl. Um, Rick Springfield has a song. So it's got a really great soundtrack. I thought it was pretty funny. It's got all the stuff you need in in a teen sex comedy. Phoebe Cates was top of her game. Matthew Modine's a fucking good actor and was able to pull off his role pretty well. 
Um, I don't have anything bad to say about this movie. I mean, yeah, it's a bit sexist, whatever. It was 1983. Um, I, I can't help that. But uh, I think it's a, it's a pretty representative um, entry into the subgenre for yeah. sure. I don't think I would say this is top five teen really? sex comedy for me. I don't want to reveal our top five. That's why I'm not but arguing. It's been, a, it's been a very long time since I've seen it. But even though it might not be in my top five movies in that subgenre, it definitely has one of my top five scenes from that genre, which would be the horseback scene. Yes. So, I mean, in that sense... That's a scene that stuck with me throughout all my teenage years. So much like the Phoebe Cates fast time scene, that's probably in the top tier for this kind of movie for those kind of scenes. And it's so funny. So he's talking about Betsy Russell rides a horse topless. Yeah. And, um, I don't, I didn't remember that scene. Yeah, I did. Yeah. (laughs) But I remembered the Phoebe Cates scene. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's one of the big scenes from like when I was growing up. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I, I, I keep meaning to revisit this because I just have the old, I have the universal DVD that I paid five bucks for. Yeah. Like about a year ago. So, and then they have, of course, announced it on Blu-ray, but uh, I'm probably, I should probably try and check it out again too. Like the, the the only you're right though it does hit all the bases that it needs to hit. Yeah, the only thing I don't didn't like is like I mean Bubba is the quintessential character. I mean I know we disagree a little bit on that, but yeah. But also Animal House, I I feel like was I don't think of it as part of this. Well, I mean this. Realm. Yeah, but Stephen first was in Up the Creek. Yeah, too. and I've never seen Up the Creek. Oh, okay, well maybe you should watch it. Yeah, yeah. But I you know um but the thing with him with Bubba though is. The character that Kathleen Wilhoy plays, and she's kind of like the cool, like she's still fucking horny and everything, but she's not like not like a Phoebe Cates or a Betsy Ross. Right. So she's more like the cool girl who's wearing the hat and like the cool hat, and she's like, you can tell she's just kind of the cool girl that right. doesn't take a lot of shit, and she's into Bubba, like she is down with like giving it up for him. Like there's no question like it's not like he's not getting action from her like she's totally ready and willing and for whatever reason he keeps lusting after other girls too and i'm just like if i was him especially him (laughs) and i had her ready to rock like the cool girl too like that's what i would be doing this goes back to that saying saying almost fire conundrum josh (laughs) You're Rob Lowe. You have Jenny Wright. You don't go for Mayor Winningham. He is not Rob Lowe. <laughs> but you know what I mean? That's like, you just don't do it. Mm-hmm. That's all. Anyway, I've listened to the one of the commentary tracks on this. I was a little disappointed. It was from the, um, the guy who wrote that teen movie hell book, Michael McFadden, I believe is his name. Yeah. And there was another gentleman on there. And I don't know what it was. Something... I I just the commentary track I think because uh, McFadden um, it sounded like he was on like Skype or something. Um, it was kind of disappointing, but I know on the second commentary track is uh, Michael Zorek hmm. is actually does the commentary, so I'm curious where how that goes. But uh, I, I I like this movie quite a bit. I I think it's a pretty good one. All right, if you like those things. All right. Well, you know, any month that there's a uh, a Friday the Thirteenth. Good old me has to watch 
a Friday the 13th movie. This time, you know, usually I go for like Jason Lives Part 6 because my, my man Tom Tommy McLaughlin made it and I love me some Tommy <laughs> McLaughlin movies. And, you know, or I go for like Final Chapter, the Joseph Zito jam, or hell, any of the first four, 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 maybe one through four and six because I don't really like five that much. But um, this time I'm like, you know what? Let's go for one I haven't seen in a while. And let's go for Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday from 1993. And, uh, yeah. Anyway. (laughs) So so New Line Cinema gets the rights to Jason. But they don't get the rights to the Friday the 13th name. Hence the title, Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. Um, First thing I got to say is, do not watch the R-rated version of this movie. Uh, because it is chopped to fuck. And also, unfortunately, on Blu-ray, the R-rated version is the only version you're going to get. So that is why I kept my unrated DVD, which is what I watched here. Um, I thought this opened pretty fun. A pretty fun twist on the on the slasher movie cliches in a way where it's a hot girl going into the woods and, you know, going to a cabin and taking a shower and all that stuff. And then Jason showing up and chasing her only for it to be an ambush by the FBI to blow Jason to bits. Right. So they basically blow him into bits and he's sent to the morgue. And when we're in the morgue, I'm he's getting rolled in and I'm like, hey, that's Kane Hodder playing one of the morgue security guards. Sweet. Because Kane Hodder plays Jason and... I think right. from part, uh, what part did he start in? Seven, eight, and this one, I believe. He plays it in the three. And um, from there, it becomes a fucking really bad riff on 1987's The Hidden, which is a Jack Shoulder movie that I fucking adore, where it's like Jason's heart is sitting in the tray, and it seems to be all hypnotic and shit because the coroner's looking at it, and it's kind of doing little beats. And all of a sudden, the coroner's like, I'm going to fucking eat this heart. I'm just going to eat it. So he just fucking mows it down in gooey close-up and just eats Jason's heart. Which then makes it so that Jason can possess body, possess the coroner's body to try and return back to Crystal Lake and start killing people. Uh, in the meantime, we've got this uh, this quick footage from this reality TV show called American Case File, which I thought was fairly amusing, that introduces the bounty hunter Creighton Duke, played by oh, yeah, Stephen Duke. Williams, who's going all Fred Williamson with his cigar and his cowboy hat, and says a really fucking weird line where the host says, what do you think about when you think about Jason? And he's like, I think of a little girl in a pink dress <laughs> putting a hot dog through a donut hole. And I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? It's a nonsensical dialogue, and I don't know why it was there. I have a feeling it was improv and they just decided <laughs> to keep it in because it doesn't make sense. It's pretty great because people are still talking about well, that I know, line. But that, that, <laughs> I guess. We've got Erin Gray showing up in this from Buck Rogers. Was she? Yeah, she's in this as uh, as one of the... Oh, yeah. As yeah, a waitress yeah. in yeah, the yeah, diner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we've got... The diner, which serves Jason-themed hamburgers, by the way. They basically make the patties look like hockey masks so that they can make money. And then it's just Jason coming back, 
Um, the first kill is a bunch of campers with a kick-ass tent pool moment, which is heavily cut in the R-rated version. One of my favorite deaths in the entire series. Yeah. Um, a condom payoff joke. And then Jason, the Jason just kind of jumps between bodies and you know, possesses people. And then these people continue the killing. And I'm kind of bummed out that we don't have actual Jason in this movie. Like every once in a while, someone will look in a mirror and Jason's reflection will be in the mirror. And I'm like, that's what I fucking want. I want Jason. I don't want some fucking tubby guy running around like a tubby sheriff deputy running around killing people. I want fucking Jason. That's what I paid for. (laughs) Like, give me a break. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's a scene with Creighton Duke where he starts like our hero, who's this nerdy guy. He starts like breaking his fingers. He's like, "I'll tell you information if you hold out your hand." And so the the hero guy's letting Creighton Duke basically break his fingers to get information about how to stop Jason. Yeah, which is this big contrived thing about how Jason needs to only a relative can kill him with this dagger. And then otherwise, Jason needs to get a baby because he needs to be reborn. Well, conveniently, Jason's like niece is having a is pregnant with a baby. So that's going to lead to a showdown at the old Voorhees house at the end. Right. And there's going to be like this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's going to be this gremlin creature that pops out of a body and runs between fucking Aaron Gray's leg and crawls up into her cooter and stuff. And. Oh, fuck this. Her cooter? Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> like this is a this is a bad movie, dude. Like like it's bad. Like I know there's people who seem to like this, but it's bad. It's a fucking mess. It has no idea what it wants to do. It's just like, hey, remember that movie The Hidden? We like that movie. Why don't we kind of make this like The Hidden Meets Friday the 13th? Because the hidden's a new line cinema property, so we can get away with it. Let's do it. And it's just it's just so bad. Like the kills are okay. There's a melting dude effects that's really cool. There's like, you know, that tent pole seat I'm talking about. But then it's like we get to we're just don't care because it's not Jason. Like that's the thing. Yeah. There's no fucking Jason in a movie called Jason goes to hell the final Friday. I want Jason. Yeah. This is what I want in this movie. You've got a shitty hero by the John LeMay plays the shitty hero. You've got fucking a finale that trots out this uh, police station and diner massacres. But because it's not Jason, it's just not that great. We've got like, you know, Jason monster baby running along the floor, which I'm like, okay, I saw this in nightmare on Elm street five and I fucking hated it then too. Let's why are you bringing it back? And, and it's just a fucking disaster. It's, it's not good. It's, it's a fucking disaster. And you know, and everyone talks, the only reason people still talk about this movie is because of Jason, Freddie's glove showing up at the end and setting up this Freddy versus Jason movie that wouldn't happen for another like 13 years after this came out, which isn't a great movie either, to be honest with you. No, it's not. So I'm just like, this is a bummer. Like this is, I mean, sure. I get it. You want to try something new with the Friday, the 13th series, but that's not what we want. By the time we get to entry nine, people don't want something different from the Friday, the 13th series. People want promiscuous people in the woods 
getting murdered. That's what we want from a Jason movie. We don't need this elaborate backstory of Jason only being able to be killed by a relative and Jason's got mystical powers and the Necronomicon and all this garbage. We don't need that. I just want Jason to show up at this peaceful lakeside retreat and see someone having sex and cut their head off. This is what I want from a Friday the 13th movie. Yeah. And it would get even worse with the one after this, with Jason X, where they sent fucking Jason into space. I disagree. No. Like, actually, I think Jason X is a better movie. Jason X is a better movie. But I just mean, like, they didn't need to do that either. Yeah. Like, they they, really didn't. didn't. They didn't. So it's like, I'm fine with the rights being in limbo for this series right now, because to be honest with you, I don't want another Jason movie. I'm oh kinda, no, no! I don't think I want one. I do. I want. I want someone to do a throwback. Uh, you know, I mean, the, well, Marcus Nispel tried to do a throwback with that two thousand and nine. No, I need. Like, I think we need to just. I. I, I think someone needs to do it. Set in the eighties. Like, well, I know that Tom McLaughlin has said he's done a treatment for a new Jason movie. That would be amazing. I will want. I will allow him to make a Jason <laughs> you movie. You will allow him because he made my. Favorite Jason movie. Yeah. With Jason Lives. And I love his movies. Like, even his Lifetime movies that I've seen, like yeah, She's yeah. Too Young and shit, I love them. Because at least he's having fun. So if he does it, I'm fine with it. Otherwise, I don't care. Yeah. Well, I find Friday the 13th fans so funny, too, because I, a lot of people shit on Five. Because there's I think no, Five's better than Jason. There's Jason, no Jason but uh, at least... There's the illusion of Jason in five, whereas this one, there literally is no Jason. Jason is in this for about no hockey mask. There's no machete. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I I agree. This is the worst of the series. I think they were by far. They were trying to do something with. um, I think the, the, the director, he's been quite active lately and he has come out and said that Jason was a deadite. Yeah. And trying to tie it into the Evil Dead universe. I agree. I think he's also come out and said he's written a Creighton Duke movie. No thanks. Back then, I might have been interested. But now, um, yeah. I mean, and like Stephen Williams. How old is Stephen Williams now? The thing about that is, okay, everyone goes on about Creighton Duke. He was kind of cool. And and goes on about that line of dialogue. But he's really not in this movie very much. But I thought he was a cool character. I he's did. Okay. I did like. There's this like Jason bounty hunter. But he's okay. But he's not in it that much. I think people are delusional about how much he's actually in this movie. Yeah, he's probably only got maybe ten minutes of screen time total. Yeah. in this whole thing. Yeah, like most of the focus is literally on this Paul LeMay character and his girlfriend, who is Aaron Gray's daughter, the Voorhees descendant. Like, that's what the main focus is. And, and they're boring, to be honest with you. So I think people are picking up Creighton Duke a little bit too much because he's not in this nearly yeah, as much as yeah. you may think. Yeah. But uh, this is this is the worst of all the sequels, bar none. I agree. And, you know, I mean, I know that um, tentpole gag is is a really good one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, it's just not worth it. No, it's not. Like... When I can say to you that Jason takes Manhattan 
is better than this. <laughs> and I don't like Jason goes takes Manhattan that much. I mean, I like seeing Vancouver pretending it's New York City, obviously, <laughs> but I don't like that movie. This is the lowest, like this is scraping the bottom bottom of the barrel for me as Jason goes yeah, to hell. Yeah, I agree. It, it's it's a disaster. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I watched a movie from the seventies <laughs> that I thought I was going to really like. Um, Nineteen seventy-two, starring Burt, um, directed by Richard A. Cola. Um, unfortunate name. Um, who um, Battlestar Galactica, right? Yeah, that's all. He's a TV guy. Yeah. His biggest claim to fame is the pilot movie of Battlestar yeah. Galactica. Okay, so this is a movie um, based on the novels of Ed McBain, the 87th Precinct series, which were the kind of these like novels based around this squad of detectives in New York City at one of the precincts. Um, Very, very popular. Very popular. There's probably like 30 books now or something. It's been um, these this these books and these characters have been put on screen a number of times, but never with very much success. I'd say this is the one that really was probably the most successful attempt at doing this. And then I think there's been some TV stuff in subsequent years. Um, but I think they were really trying to capitalize on this series of books and um, the Evan Hunter, AKA Ed McBain um, also wrote the screenplay for this. And just so to put into context, like this series of books also was, you know, supposedly the inspiration for Hill Street Blues, one of the most famous cop series and NYPD Blue, which is one of my probably my favorite TV series of all time. So I was expecting a lot from this, um, but we need the title. It's called Fuzz. Fuzz. It was okay. First problem. They said it in Boston and not New York. I'm not sure what the decision there was, maybe tax credits. Um, but I, I thought that was an odd choice. Okay. So the cast, we've got Burt Reynolds playing Dr. Steve Carell or detective Steve Carella. He's kind of the like, you know, typical Burt, the, the kind of snappy, confident ladies man type guy. Right. Um, Jack Weston plays Detective Meyer Meyer. He's kind of the the older, kind of jaded, kind of Bert's partner. Um, Tom Skerritt playing Doctor or Detective Bert Kling. He um, he's the young the young whippersnapper. I can't believe fucking okay. First of all, Tom Skerritt is so cool. Second of all, Tom Skerritt does not have a mustache in this. Third of all, Tom Skerritt is fucking 86 years old now. Can you believe Whoa. that? Yeah, I couldn't fucking believe it. Anyway, Tom Skerritt's still fucking cool. Okay, we've got Raquel Welch as uh, Detective Eileen McHenry. And a number of other character actors, which I, I'm i not going to go through them all. But there's a lot of people you'd recognize in this. So pretty decent cast. Um, There's sort of three things going on. So it's supposed to be like this kind of, it's supposed to be like the novels. We're supposed to be going into this precinct and kind of getting to know the detectives and what's going on on a day-to-day basis. The thing is though, that this, 
it's 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 like a it's right off the bat it's kind of like a comedy it's kind of i felt like more like i was watching brooklyn 99 than i was watching hill street blues which is fine but i was expecting a gritty 70s cop thriller that's not what this is now it should have been a fucking giveaway when i looked at the box art and you've got raquel welch kind of busting out and then you know you've got bert like doing on his like the rug you know the famous rug photo of him naked on the rug that's on the box art and you've also got bert and uh jack weston dressed up as nuns Uh, in like running that was part of the box art that those that should have told me everything i needed to know but for whatever reason because i think because it was based on the mcbain series i thought it was going to be a gritty cop thriller at least hoped it would be it sort of is a little unsure what it wants to be. So it starts out being kind of a comedy, like not, not like a, not like a, like airplane comedy, but it's got like, you know, they're, they're going, you're going, they're going through the precinct and, you know, people are checking out Raquel Welch and like very obvious ways. We've got these guys doing painting, which is disrupting the precinct. So they're all, you know, everyone's trying to get around the painters. So it's like just dumb comedy like that. And um, I wasn't feeling like I was really getting into, like, who these people were. There was too many people, like, running around everywhere. And it was, like, character after character after character. And I'm like, who am I supposed to be following? Who am I supposed to be, like, behind here? Bert hasn't even shown up yet. Um, And we're, we're literally introduced to probably 20 characters in the first five minutes. So it was very, very confusing. That they're also talking about kind of three different crime waves that are going on at the same time there's like this serial rapist running around which is why welch is there she's there to like try and ensnare this guy we've got someone running around like lighting vagrants on fire and then we've got a mad serial bomber played by yule brenner that's um calling in bomb threats constantly and delivering on them so i just didn't really know where to go because like there was all this stuff happening and then it was just like kind of like set piece after set piece like you've got a scene where Bert's dressing up as a bum and he's going to try and like get the guys that are lighting bombs on fire and but they light him on fire ha 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 and they get away you know but it's and so there's like you know a big stunt of with there's fire involved they're trying to like capture Yul Brynner so or the mad bomber so there's this big scene at like a uh, outdoor park where they're all like staking it out and that's the scene where Bert and Jack Weston are dressed as nuns because they're undercover you see and it's funny because I guess they're men and they're dressed as nuns and how could that ever happen because you know what I how I feel about guys <laughs> dressed in drag Two um, movies and then you've with got, people in drags in the same week <laughs> fuck and then you've got like Tom Skerritt and Raquel Welch posing as as um, a couple making out in a sleeping bag. But of course, when their their mark like runs by them, they can't get the zipper of the sleeping bag unwrapped. So they're like, you know, struggling with getting the sleeping bag open as the guy's running by. So it's got that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, I, I the movie just couldn't find its footing anywhere. And um, yeah, real, real letdown. So uh, Kino Lorber put out the, the Blu-ray of this. Um, definitely not recommended. Um, I think you can do the hard pass on this. I mean, when people talk about Burt's filmography, this is certainly not part of it, um, or really any of these guys. Um, I can mention Charles Martin Smith shows up briefly as one of the um, guys that is burning the um, 
Burning the Bums. Um, and also it's got a very early appearance from Tamara Dobson, who of course went on to be Cleopatra Jones in the popular 70s movies. And uh, Ushi Digard has a very, very brief scene as a um, girl in a loop in a porn theater. But um, yeah, too bad, man. I mean, uh, I mean, this Ed McBain stuff, I've never read any of his novels. Have you? Like, no. I don't know what the tone of the novels is. Not not comedy. Yeah, I, know I, that much. I always imagined they wouldn't be. And now I kind of get what they were trying to do here. But I it mean, it sounds like they were trying to blend together like a bunch of his books in one. I felt yeah, I felt like they were trying to like yeah, like there was all these beloved characters and they were trying to like introduce all of them in yeah. one movie in one scene basically and then trying to include as many of them as they could through the plot. But what it did is it just made it so confusing cuz you didn't really know who you were supposed to be kind of following right. along with and and none of them really had moments. So, yeah, kind of a drag, but had a cool, you know, I I always like Raquel Welch, but she's front and center in the poster and she's probably in this for 15 minutes so Mm -hmm. it's really it's really not anyone's movie Mm -hmm. so it's an oddity so it's called fuzz well she gets more screen time than jason (laughs) she she does (laughs) that's true all right well let's uh for my final selection in this section uh i decided since uh scream factory put out a collector's edition on blu-ray recently that i would revisit one of my favorite remakes one that i actually think is better than the original and that would be 1988's the blob directed by chuck russell coming off of nightmare on elm street part three and co-written by frank darabont who would Mm -hmm. make the mist among other things and um so this movie opens on a small town a small American town and we zoom in on America's sport football as there's this high school football game going on and we're introduced to Shawnee Smith's character playing a cheerleader and when this movie came out I had a total crush on Shawnee Smith because of this movie. She went on to be in a bunch of the Saw sequels later on. Yeah. Um, and then we've also got Kevin Dillon as the leather jacket wearing motorbike rebel who is always running having run-ins with the cops and likes to go out in the woods and smoke cigarettes and try and jump over the broken bridge out in the woods and uh from here we have a meteor crashing down and uh the first victim is this this homeless guy who's living out in the woods and he gets he pokes at the meteor and he gets it on his arm and uh Kevin Dillon's character just happens to be there and he flags down Shiny Smith and her boyfriend played by Jonathan Leach or Ledich. I don't know how to say the name. And uh, they take the hobo to the hospital, like the emergency room. And from there, it turns out that this is a viscous, murderous blob. It's a blob from outer space that decides to start devouring everybody. And it begins with a friggin' really impressive scene where it just completely envelops one of the characters and you could see the blob pulling back and basically pulling all of his flesh off of his face nice. and everything. And then we have a scene with Erica Elianic, the Playboy Playmate, as the girl who is making out in a car and you know, when the guy rapily reaches in to touch her boob, the blob basically explodes from inside her and attacks him. Uh, and we've got 
the kills just keep coming and the effects are fucking top notch and 30 years later these effects look fucking amazing I gotta say we've got you know people getting sucked down sick dreams we've got people being destroyed in phone booths we've got a massacre in a movie theater that's playing a a slasher movie spoof kind of movie we, but I mean it, it's great all this shit with the blob killing people fucking top notch like great great shit but the thing is this also works because Russell and Darabont have taken their time doing a good job in a brief amount of time setting up your characters. Like, you know, Shawnee Smith, we can tell she's the good girl next door and everything. And, you know, Dylan's obviously the rebel, but it also gives you little glimpses at some of the side characters, like the reverend who's like kind of creepy, but he's the reverend. The pharmacist, you know, the horror-obsessed little kids who are Shawnee Smith's brother, one of them is. And it just does a good job at building that up. You know, there's a pretty suspenseful scene set in the sewer with Shawnee Smith and the two kids just after the movie house scene. And, you know, and and Dylan's hair looks fucking terrible because it's like a really bad mullet going on. Right. And, 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 you know, it's just, it just propels. It moves good. The special effects are amazing. And then they introduce the government guys, which are like these scientists and they're in their hazmat suits. And I thought that stuff was a little bit clunky. Yeah. And I thought that the finale loses a little bit of steam because, you know, you got Kevin Dillon driving around in a fucking ice making truck to try and kill the blob. And it it's kind of doesn't work. Yeah. But I mean, this is a great entertaining movie. Like I'd like the original blob from the fifties. But this is the one where it's like, we're going to take this story and we're going to modernize it. And we're going to get everybody who's anybody to work on this movie doing effect. Uh, Russell knows how to make a successful, entertaining movie. I mean, a lot of people consider nightmare on Elm street three to be their favorite of the series. Yeah. I disagree, but you know, I, I get it. I know where they're coming from and having Darabont on as a co-writer does help with the, I think he's got a really good knack at, hitting that small town America feel. Yeah. And I think a lot of what's in this is because of him. Right. Like a lot of the writing in this that works that way is because of him. I just think this is a really fun movie. And I think that uh, I'm, su- I'm super impressed with what Scream Factory did with this on their Blu-ray because they poured it over all the stuff from the Twilight Time release. Of course they did. Um, <laughs> there's th- two other commentaries. And there's like, I think at least 12 brand new interviews with people involved in this movie. Wow. And it's got all the old making ofs and everything. And like, this is a packed Blu-ray, like totally packed and totally worth buying. If like at the twilight time, one went out of print really fast. It did. But this is like, fuck, this, I should have sold that. When I, oh, this thing. trumps that one. <laughs> and I think this is also a brand new 4k scan also. Right. So this is the best this movie has looked. And it's also, if you love this movie, there's a lot for you to chew on in the special features. So I highly recommend The Blob from 1988 for sure. Nice. Yeah. Josh's Beatrice Adventures. Okay. Um, all right. So this is a um, this is a Vietnam movie, actually, that I, um, I've heard about all these years and never got around to watching for some reason. And it's a movie called The Hanoi Hilton. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, from 1987, uh, directed by Lionel Chetwind, uh, mainly a TV writer. Um, and 
Okay, so to my delight, when this started playing, the Canon logo came up, nice. <laughs> which I did not put together at all. Like, because I've always thought of this as kind of a serious, yeah, Vietnam movie, and then when Canon's logo popped up, I'm like, what the fuck? So, um, okay, so we're well, Canon did occasionally try and make something more. I know. I'm just so yeah, used to, I know, especially I know. after watching all the Death Wish movies, and missing in action. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so the story is about, um, the Hanoi Hilton is referencing a prison in Hanoi called the Hoi Lu prison. And it's where a lot of POWs were sent in the Vietnam war. Um, most notably John McCain spent some time there, but a lot of American POWs spent time in this prison that was certainly not a Hilton. <laughs> um, so the the premise is that Michael Moriarty is a fighter, like a play a pilot for the Air Force, gets shot down and gets taken prisoner and brought to this facility. And it's just about his time there. I think the I think that it goes over like a seven or nine year period um, of Michael Moriarty's um, capture and and time at this place and the people he meets, and um, it, it's um, pretty eye opening stuff. Like I mean, you hear about POWs. I guess my main exposure to them is Chuck and the you know the camps, the POW yeah. camps, which I'm sure were 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 very accurate in the Chuck Norris movies. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm sure. But I'm sure there was some brutality. I, mean, I think POW The Escape with David Carradine is the most <laughs> accurate portrayal of POW camps ever. <laughs> but I do imagine they were probably pretty brutal. Yeah. They, and I think some of the stuff in the Chuck movies was probably pretty accurate. Like, I remember them being, like, half-submerged in water sometimes and shit like that. Anyway, this is taking place at an actual like facility it's it's like a it's like a prison i think it was built by the french when the french occupied vietnam and then it was taken over by the vietnamese when the north vietnamese when the vietnam war war broke out with the uh, americans um so moriarty gets put in there um and you know you really kind of feel for this guy because you know it's introduced very early that he's a family man he's got a wife he's got i think two kids at home and you're like, oh, you know, this guy's stuck there. And, and it really, I felt it really did a good job of kind of conveying, like, how that would be. And it really, yeah, it really made me be like, wow, that would be fucked up. Like, you're you're brought there and you're um, p- being taken away from your family. And then, you know, a lot of this movie is about, um, you know, do you what's more important like the code of the military and your country and keeping secrets or going home going home and like kind of turning your back on all that so there is that struggle where you know they they're talking constantly about being broken by the vietnamese when you know they're like where they're being tortured and the vietnamese are trying to get information out of them and but you can really kind of sympathize with that that thing they're going through where they're giving up their family for their country and and how hard that might be for some people i mean it's great you know i think a lot of people like to say um how you know of course there'd be no contest of course i would pick my country and i wouldn't 
But, you know, it. I felt it really made you think about if you were really in that situation, how would you be? And Michael Moriarty is such a fucking underrated actor. And I really, really wish this guy had acted more. I know he had a tough run in Law and Order um, where he got released from that show. Um, but that guy, he was stellar on that show. He's been stellar in like everything I've seen him in. He was in like those Larry Cohen movies yep. like Q and uh, um, stuff. Stuff. Yeah. I mean, he's so great. And um, and he lives here now. I, I didn't know that. Yep. He lives in Port Moody. Yeah, he's he's been out here for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So um, so he's he's so great. And uh, but some of the other cast, too, we've got Lawrence Pressman. Um, he's playing like kind of the, the older, um, like Moriarty's character is quite a decorated soldier, but this, uh, Lawrence Pressman plays like the one who kind of outranks him and is trying to like organize the pip, the prisoners. I thought he was great and had, and really struggles at it. David soul, of course, uh, Hutch from Starsky and Hutch, uh, plays an injured dude. Paul Lamatt, another actor that I, I think just isn't talked about enough. He was in um, American Graffiti, but he's... And Puppet Master, the first one. Oh, was he? Yeah. yeah he, I think he's pretty great as well. Uh, Jeffrey Jones, normally a comic actor, was in this. Um, I thought he was pretty good in this. I don't usually like him. He was, wasn't he the principal in Ferris Bueller? Yeah. yeah. Um, Doug Savant, um, a guy I've never been able to take seriously. He was the gay character Matt on Melrose Place. That's all I can, all I see when I see this guy. Unfortunately, um, but then again, a, a whole bunch of other people that you would recognize that I just don't want to go through the whole cast. But really, really good. Um, Ake Young plays Cat, and he's the um, the Vietnamese commandant of the prison fucking fantastic as well and you would recognize him he was the main villain in missing in action three talk oh. about being typecast okay but yep. he was fucking great in this and uh, um i thought just the way it addressed the torture i thought the way it addressed rank um the way it addressed being able to like living through like seven years or whatever in this place um, them seeing new people coming in and trying to like kind of warn them about what's going to happen, trying to establish the system of ranking and organizing and keeping everyone strong. Um, I thought it was really interesting the way, um, again, if you're depending on how familiar you are with the Vietnam War, Jane Fonda was under a lot of fire for during that war because she was um, basically coming over to Vietnam to try and the Vietnamese again. This is totally my opinion, but I mean it's not a not a bizarro notion or anything. But you know, it it appeared like the like she was pretty much being used as kind of a puppet to turn the American public against the war. And this movie definitely addresses that stuff and about how she's being used as like that type of character is being used as propaganda um, to help the North Vietnamese win. And um, the way it was done in this was, was, I thought, quite interesting. Yeah, so really pretty cool movie. Um, the only thing is, is that it takes a pretty severe conservative approach to it all. Um, so with the Jane Fonda stuff in particular, I felt like it was super biased. Like it just made them look like buffoons, didn't really show the other side. Um, and from what I see of Lionel Chetwin's filmography, he could tell he was like probably a Republican um so i mean 
take from that what you will but i still thought it was a pretty interesting movie and not like the vietnam exploitation that we're used to right i mean platoon was a fucking awesome movie which wasn't like that but it just you know i think of the pow movies this is probably the the best one that i've seen i think this is still one that's kind of harder to come by too it's quite hard to come by yeah i yeah. don't that did it ever get a dvd release that we know it got a DVD release. It also got a it got a, a release on one of those four pack DVDs, oh, okay. um, with like um, Rear Eagles Dare and I can't remember what else, but um, but quite expensive. Like mm. you look it up on Amazon, at least Amazon Canada, and it's like they're like a hundred bucks, so mm. difficult to get for sure. Okay. But it's worth a look. Hanoi Hilton, cool one. Josh has Beatrice Adventures. All right, so let's get cracking on our top five of 2019. Top five and our anticipated 2020 movie. Yes. So if you've been with the podcast as long as we've been doing it, you know we do this every year at the beginning of the year. And uh, so Josh and I top our talk our top five each of the year and then anticipate it. And I thought this was a pretty good year personally. Hmm. Like I... I there was a lot of stuff I enjoyed in 2019. I actually think 2019 was a better year than 2018, to be honest. Wow. Yeah. So uh, let's see what happens. Who wants to? Who wants to start? Whatever, man. Okay. Well, I'll start, and I did these in order. So hopefully you did yours. In so order. are you going from five to one? I'm going from five to one. Okay. So number five for me is the movie I talked about probably last episode or the episode before called Marriage Story. Okay. Written and directed by Noah Baumbach, streaming on Netflix right now, uh, starring Adam Driver and uh, Scarlett Johansson. Basically, a story about a marriage falling apart and the repercussions of a divorce on Adam Driver, who wants to be a successful writer, and Scarlett Johansson, who wants to be a successful actress, and how living in Hollywood and getting different sides of the story from everybody affects their relationship. And uh, I just thought it was a really well done movie with really strong performances there's a there's that fight scene i was telling you about in the middle of the movie that's really really works really good and i think this is the most mature movie that bombac has made to this point um i really like squid and the whale a lot i that was my favorite up to this point but i think this is my favorite movie that he's done and like i said pretty easy to compare it to kramer versus kramer which i had watched probably about a week prior to seeing this or so, but uh, on its own, it's a really well done, like implosion of a marriage kind of drama, and uh, I really liked it. And I thought uh, I'm really liking Adam Driver mm-hmm. because of Black Klansman, among other things, and this and and Scarlett Johansson when she's not doing, you know, superhero movies and that. I think she's had a very interesting career. You know, I think she's picking stuff that you wouldn't expect someone of her age range as an actress to be doing. And I really appreciate that about her because, uh, she shows up again in my honorable mentions in a little bit too. Oh, wow. So yeah. So marriage story is my number five. Oh, now I'm curious what that one is. Yeah. All right. Hmm. Okay. My number five is, no, I, okay. My number five is us. Right. Directed by Jordan Peele. Honorable mention for me. Yeah. I, um, I didn't um, like Get Out very much. Yeah. Um, I thought it was okay, but uh, this one I really feel like he stepped it up. Um, this one, this one felt like 
all the hype I heard about Get Out, about how original it was and how it was kind of changing the genre, blah, blah, blah. This is what I thought. That's what I thought this was. Right. This this was totally original, in my opinion. And this is one that I felt like, yeah, just I didn't know where it was going to go. And um, and I, I just thought everything about this one, just from... Um, I really loved the use of color in this movie. I thought it was it was really cool. I just uh, went into this blind, so I didn't even know the premise at all. And um, if you haven't seen this yet, by the way, um, I'd recommend checking it out, if, especially if you've managed to be able to go into it blind, which I think a lot of people have been able to do. I mean, the right. poster is unfortunately... Um, but I, you know, I well, even I was, the, even the trailer is really vague. Yeah, and I saw the poster before, and I didn't know what it meant. Right. right. Um, but it, yeah, it's really, really well done. Um, Lupita Nyong'o uh, from Twelve Years a Slave and Black Panther, um, and plays uh, the, this woman who's uh, with her family, and um, something's happened in her past, and. Uh, Along with her is Winston Duke as her husband, also from Black Panther, and their two kids. Um, Elizabeth Moss also shows up in this movie. Man, this girl is fucking awesome every time I see her. Yep. I've never seen her put in a bad performance. No, I so. think she's good. I think Nwango was really amazing in this too, though. Yeah, yeah. And he, Tim Heidecker uh, kind of rounds out the main cast. Um. A lot of this took place in and around Santa Cruz, which, of course, was in The Lost Boys. Yeah. And um, the boardwalk is quite famous and is used quite prominently in this movie. And I love that location. I've actually been to Santa Cruz specifically just because I thought the location was so cool and uh, really loved how that was used in this. But, yeah, I mean, this is the movie where I get it with Jordan Peele, like, and why people are kind of losing their shit over him a little bit. Um, because this this was fantastic and uh, really made me understand uh, why people are thinking of him as um, a big voice in the genre, but um, that I didn't I didn't personally get from Get Out. Right. But, Whereas but, I'm I'm kind of differing from you. I think I like Get Out better as a movie. Yeah. But I like Us better as a ambitious, creative growth for Jordan Peele. Oh, yeah. Like I, I feel like this was him being like this is him taking his big shot at an elaborate story. Yeah. And and I I thought that there's times in the last half that it didn't quite hang as much as I wanted it to, but I totally respect what he did here. Yeah. And I think it's I, I'm not discounting it. This is on my honorable mentions. So yeah. I mean this just missed getting in there. Yeah. And, and you know and I think that he is a very interesting guy to watch. Like I think uh, for a guy who's mostly known up to the, up to the point of get out as being a sketch comedian and things like that, to be able to put out two genre movies. Yeah. In the, in like a span of three years that are challenging and actually like creative. I think that's a great thing for the genre. Yeah. Like I, I, I think that, uh, and to get the major releases and make the money and, you know, and I think it's, that's not the most important thing. Don't get me wrong, but to have that level of success that he's had, I really think that's great. And well, I, I think it's pretty awesome that like 
I was out for dinner with my parents, and they're like, "Have you seen this movie called Us? We watched it the other day." Yeah, <laughs> <I'm> like what? <laughs> yeah, I, but I, I think that's kind of neat. I'm looking forward to what he does next, and and I definitely I agree with you fully on Elizabeth Moss. Oh, fuck, everything she's so good. Everything yeah. she's in, I really dig. Yeah, that I've seen, and I think Lupita Nyong'o in this was like amazing. I think I almost feel like she should be nominated, to be honest. But I know it won't happen. Just it won't happen. But what yeah, kind no, of movie it is? I mean, especially for what she does. Yeah, like it's. Yeah. Uh, you'll understand when you've seen the movie. Yeah. But holy shit! Yeah. No, just... no, I, 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 I agree with that being on your list. I just didn't quite make mine. Yeah, and I just I love that. I love it when a director can do this, especially when where I'm. Especially when where I'm kind of like, fuck, what's all the hype about, yeah. right? For them to, because of course I was going into this going, well, okay, whatever. And to, for it to blow my socks off, right. especially with a bit of a lower opinion. Not that I thought Get Out sucked. Like it right. wasn't terrible. just wasn't, didn't really do it for me. Yeah. Um, but wow. Yeah. This, this was great. I loved it. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So uh, my number four is one that... Uh, might be a little surprising in a way because this is a movie I saw early in the year and just I kept seeing more and more stuff that had the possibility to knock it off and it just kept clinging in there. This is the this is my dark horse on my list. This is a movie that if you would have told me when I went to see it in the theater that this would still be hanging on to my top five at the end of the year, I would have said, I don't know about that. And that's a movie called Booksmart from, okay. uh, from director, actress turned director Olivia Wilde, her debut. Which you purchased today. Which I purchased today on Blu-ray. Um, I actually think this is a... Uh, I've heard this described as super bad for girls, basically. Because it's you know it's about these two smart girls played by Caitlin Deaver and Beanie Feldstein who, you know, they're about to graduate from high school and they decide... And they're the good girls. They study hard. They have good grades and that. And they're like, we feel like we're missing out on, you know, being teenagers like partying and all that stuff so they decide that on the night of like graduation or whatever they're going to go and have a wild evening and they go out and they get into a lot of trouble and it just it's a funny movie um the leads are great like i think both of them are really superb in this like i really like uh beanie feldstein uh jonah hill's sister Okay, and uh, I she was really good in Lady Bird in in 2017, and she's really good in this. Um, Caitlin Deaver, this is the first thing I remember seeing her in. But she after this, she was one of the co stars of the show Netflix show Unbelievable, which I th- she thought she was really great in that show as well. So I really like what I'm seeing from her, and I think Olivia Wilde very confident debut for her um that it hits all the notes it's it's raunchy at times it's sweet at times it's it's funny all the way through and uh you know it it's creative like there's a scene in this involving stop motion barbie dolls that i thought was really hilarious right it's just like even the tagline for this movie you know getting straight a's giving zero f's like it's just it's it's just a movie that I was went into the theater. I didn't know what to expect, and I came out with a big smile on my face and was like, "That was the kind of comedy I want to see because I'm very picky about my comedies." And I just think it was just one of those perfect, perfect storms for me, and one of those perfect moments. And that's why I think it's still clinging on there because every time I'm like, "Oh, maybe Booksmart should come off the list now," I'm like, "Nope, nope, too fun. Had to leave it on there. It's one of the best times I had at the theaters this year. It's not going anywhere." Nice. So that's why it's my number four. Cool. Yeah. 
All right, my next one is one I know you've seen. Um, okay. I kind of didn't know if I wanted to watch this um, because some um, there's been some there's been a lot of hype of, about this one from some reviewers that are a little dubious in their in their recommendations sometimes. Um, but you talked about this, I think, last week, and uh, okay. so I decided to check it out, and I loved it, and that's one cut of the dead. Another honorable mention for me. Yeah, and, uh, you know, as someone who's been through the process of, of making low-budget movies, um, I can totally relate to this movie, um, and uh, I just it was just so original. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's Japanese. It's, it's kind of appears like it's a zombie movie, but it's not. And, um, you know, I'm a big fan of one take stuff. And um, I can imagine how difficult that is to achieve. And uh, this is a comedy that really expands on that notion. Yeah. And um, I just, uh, man, I just, I really liked it. And any movie that like... Um, like, first of all, as I was watching this, even like halfway in, I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, even even when I kind of knew what was going on, I was even still like, oh. But man, the payoff of the last half hour of this movie well, is so great. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what I said when I talked about it. That I was like, I was kind of enjoying it. But then when it gets into that last bit, that's when I really was like, yeah, yeah. it was so fucking good. And like, and it made me immediately want to watch it again, which I have not done yet. Um, but the way it's constructed and it, it's just so fucking good. Like it's this, when you talk about original, like I can't remember the last time I saw something kind of this neat that way. And one, it's totally a bait and switch because it didn't, it wasn't quite what you were expecting. No, and not that's at why all. I love it even more. Not at all. And you know, I mean, part of me, oh, fuck, part of me just wants to say what it's about. Yeah, I um, don't think we should to get spoil people it. to watch it. But yeah. yeah, but I, um, but I just hope people just fucking watch it. <laughs> well, here's the thing: if you're tired of zombie movies, don't be afraid to watch One Cut of the Dead. Yeah, if you like movies about movie making don't like you'll love this like and if you have shutter it's fucking on there so you have no excuse oh is it on shutter yes yeah i got it i watched i got it it on uh i think i got it on on cineplex but or or, uh google play but yeah but it's on shutter yeah so if you have a shutter subscription watch it because that's how i watched it and i didn't regret it like i had known the hype going into this yeah and i was watching it and the first little bit i was like yeah this is pretty good but i don't get it like, I wasn't like, why is this, you know, got this high hype going behind it? But then by the time it was over, I was like, I get it now. Yeah, you totally need to stick with this. This is yeah. one of those movies where you might be like, what the fuck, guys? But like, yeah, do not turn this off after half an hour and be like, Josh, what's up with you? Like, you need to sit through this. And believe me, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, oh, what the fuck, Chris? Well, like, so, so was I, I, so, Well, so was I when I yeah. watched it, right? So, I mean, you've got... We're both saying, watch it. Yeah, you definitely know, watch it, it. It was on his list. It was in my honorable mentions. Yeah, and it's know. one I'll definitely return to. So, yeah. uh, one cut of the dead. And uh, if you don't have Shudder or any of that, or, you know, there is a UK Blu-ray you can purchase. 
Oh, is it not out domestic yet? It's not out domestic. Oh, shit. But there is a UK Blu-ray. And like I got it on streaming pretty easily. If you're region free, why not? Yeah. Um, so my next one is a movie that I know you enjoyed, but maybe not to the level I enjoyed it, but I've talked about it recently and that's knives out is my number Mm, three. Nice. The new Ryan Johnson movie, uh, a modernized Agatha Christie type mystery movie starring Daniel Craig with, as a detective who has to go into a, you know, a very rich family's mansion and try and figure out why the patriarch played by Christopher Plummer died and deal with the greedy family members played by Jamie Lee Curtis, Tony Collette, Michael Shannon, just the friggin' amazing cast of characters. Uh, the thing about this movie is I said Booksmart's one of the most fun times I had in the theater. Knives Out is the most fun I had in the theater this year. Um, I went in, I thought it was funny. I thought it was well-constructed. I think Ryan Johnson, the way he put everything together at the end was fucking brilliant. Like, I think this is one of the strongest written movies of the year in that regards. And I think you can't go wrong with that cast. But like I said, uh, Anna, what's her name? Anna DeMarcus, I think her name is. Yeah, I don't remember. Or Anna DeMaris, who plays the main character in this. She went up against all these heavyweights and came out on top. I thought she was really great in this. I I think this is almost a star-making performance from her if she gets the chance. Did she get a Golden Globe nom? I'm not sure. I think she might have. She might have. But I I just think that, like, this is what I like to see because this is original. It's not tied to a franchise. It's not a sequel. It's not a reboot. It still managed to make a pretty good amount of money, which pleases the hell out of me. But the thing is, it was also so much fun, so well-written, so well-acted, so well-constructed all across the board. And it's the first movie I've seen by Ryan Johnson, but I want to go back now and watch Brick. I want to watch Looper. I want to watch Brothers Bloom. You know, I want to see all those movies. And, you know, for all you fucking Star Star Wars fanboys who are, like, bitching about his movie, just remember this. It's way, it's w- got a way better critic rating than this new one that everyone seems to hate. Mm. So, you know, you, you maybe cut him a little bit of slack because this guy's got some talent and he's showing it. So I really loved Knives Out. Nice. Yeah. His Star Wars movie was terrible. Just well, so. I don't know. But it's got a good, I know it's got a really good meta score. That's all I know. <laughs> all right. Uh, my third, number three, is Midsummer. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm watching it tomorrow night. All right. Another one. Um, so don't spoil anything. Directed please. by Ari. <laughs> Do I ever? No. <laughs> directed by Ari Oster. Um, so this is another one like Us, where I was kind of underwhelmed by Hereditary, uh, which was Ari Aster's uh, movie last last year? Last year. Yeah. It was last year. I think so. Um, yeah. A lot of hype around Hereditary. I saw it. I liked it, but I didn't love it. Right. And uh, but again, this one, holy fuck, I get it with this guy now. Um, this is a movie um, that takes place on um, in Sweden, and um, I don't know how much you know about it, but uh, do you know anything at all? Oh yeah, I know yeah. a little bit. Okay, so I mean, it takes place. It's it's got some like kind of Wicker Man vibes to yeah. it. It's it's. Um, you know, it's it's about this um, Swedish student who um, who takes his friends over to Sweden to attend a summer festival that goes horribly wrong. 
and um wow i just i didn't i didn't know that's all i knew about it going in i mean i think most people know that much about it and holy fuck it is just so good um the cast is pretty much all unknowns at least at least to me uh florence pugh as um, the lead woman is fantastic as it's jack rayner as her um boyfriend and um it is just um everything about this one like it all it takes place mainly during the day and the cinematography and again the use of color and the use of like blue skies and like colors and flowers and white in particular is um quite striking um i had no idea where this was going at all other than what i've just said but that could go a fucking bazillion different directions right and um, and uh, I really enjoyed having no idea what was going to happen. I, I love that. And even after everything played out, I would never have been able to predict that. And I love that, too. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just um, um, really, really dug it. And uh, um, I, I, I'm really enjoying the fact that I'm able to kind of see these directors blooming in a way that, works for me as well um as opposed to just the kind of media machine i don't know if this has been getting as much love as hereditary did i don't think so but um yeah i thought it killed hereditary as far as just being a really interesting cool story and uh yeah totally enjoyed it so i'm super curious to see what your take is it almost moved up another spot on my list i had a real struggle with where to put it yeah i'm I'm going to be watching it tomorrow after we yeah. record this so i'll report back but uh, i mean i really liked hereditary apart from the finale yeah but um i mean when i see i've seen the trailer for this so all i thought about when i saw the trailer for this I was like oh it's like the wicker man only it's like also like the sound of music gone horribly wrong in a way <laughs> just because of all the blue skies and the rolling hills and all that stuff like in the background. So I, I'm really curious. I don't know much about it apart from that. Like it's very, they kept it very vague. They even did. The, I mean, even yeah. in the trailer. So. And the Wicker Man comparison is apt, but I mean, it's not, you know, it's not yeah. nothing. And I mean, I know there's a, I know they re-released this in a director's cut. Yeah. Not that long ago, but I don't think anybody went to the director's cut version though. They didn't, and I know you can get that on an import disc. Oh, really? Okay. They had it at Videomatica when I was there uh, a few days ago. You have to; it's a Europe, European disc. Oh, okay. You can't get it on a domestic release. And um, I will also say, just with Florence Pugh, like I mean, there's a depiction of anguish, and um, I guess anguish would be the best word. I've never seen anything like this. Just the outpouring of emotion and pain that um this woman is able to convey um very early on in the movie just unbelievable I, i've never seen anything like that so yeah this is a real winner so what we've established here is that ari aster really likes anguish apparently because <laughs> both of his movies contain it yeah but this was from the sound of next <laughs> level shit like right. i was just the way the way she showed it i just yeah it was just wow anyway all right uh my number two this should be pretty obvious because you know if this would have came out in a year that there wasn't the movie that's my number one this would have been my number one for sure and that's bong john jun huo's parasite right from 2019 uh obviously um this is a korean 
movie that I fucking adore. And, uh, you know, it's basically about a family who scheme their way into a rich family's house by taking up new personas and things going off the rails quite rapidly and but with comedic but very dark dark undertones at the same time uh there's stuff in this movie that happens that i was not expecting especially in the second half but i also was not expecting it to be quite as funny as it turns out to be at times i think it's a very intricately constructed plot just like knives out was but in a different way like i think the way that the family pulled off all their scheming and everything was ingenious. I, I think the performances were completely solid, especially the actor who played the father and the woman who was the housewife kind that ran the house. I thought those two performances were amazing. Um, there was just that cinematography was superb. Like there was a lot of those panning shots that I really love to see in movies. So there was a couple of really static shots that really worked where it's just focusing on a certain thing and you're kind of moving your eyes around to make sure that you're not missing anything in the frame. And I just think this is like a very, very well done, entertaining. I was never, and just really interesting movie. Like I think that. I, if if it wasn't the movie that's my number one, I mean it's probably obvious what it's going to be. But if that movie wouldn't have came out, this would be. This is the first year I can recall where I've given two movies a perfect five star rating on Letterboxd, hmm. and this is one of them. Nice. So I'm. It's it's amazing, and I hope it I hope it gets nominated for best picture. But if it wins, it's probably going to be nominated for just best foreign picture. Oh yeah, totally. So, yeah, but it makes me want to watch. Snowpiercer now since I haven't seen that oh, it's from the same director it's so good man so um so one thing about this movie that I I watched a few um kind of visual reviews of this movie which I thought were really interesting um just about the way it was put together that I didn't like I kind of saw them once I kind of was pointed out to me but stuff like how particularly with the use of the camera um like whenever the camera is shooting the poor family the camera's angling down and like whenever it's shooting the um well-off family it's angled up um there's a lot of times where um you're seeing characters going through different um phases like different events happen that leads different characters to have different things happen to them in their status right and they actually you see them walking like downstairs or upstairs Hmm. and stuff like that that's interesting and another really interesting thing is um in a lot of the shots where there's uh because it's basically about a rich family and a poor family right yeah a lot of the shots where there'll be like characters of each family in the shot, there'll be a line literally in the shot. Like whether huh. it's like, 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 um, I think one of them, there was like, it was like a window pane huh. and the, where the windows connect yeah. would be that line. So you huh. wouldn't really notice. No. But then w- when you're watching it, you're like, oh yeah, there's always this fucking line. And it showed like time and time again in the movie, huh. how they had the line between the two families and i i just think that kind of attention to detail is just fascinating yeah that's to super me. cool 
And um, so I'd encourage you, especially being with so much well, love for this when it comes movie. Out, so. But just check out, like, go on yeah. YouTube and look up reviews because it's pretty interesting. Huh. Some of the things that that I, I think legit the director consciously thought of well, to no, put because, in there. Yeah, well, he legitimately wanted it to be a movie about the upper and lower class differentials. And, you know, it, it, it's just I didn't notice that. Yeah, I wouldn't have noticed either, but yeah. it's there, which just elevates this movie a little more for me. Yeah, too. that's yeah, that's interesting. I'll yeah. have to check that out. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Yeah. All right, my number two is a little more off the rails, and that is um, Climax from uh, Gaspar Noe. Yeah. Um, Chris and I went to see this earlier this year. I know you weren't uh, nearly as oh, blown away as I was. I I, re- I liked it, but I yeah, I, you liked it more than me. Definitely, yeah, I loved it. This is like totally my thing. Like, and it was just. It was just fucking dark and depressing and fucked up. And I, I do tend to like that stuff. And um, as far as Gaspar Noe's stuff, I mean, I loved Irreversible. I loved, um, I liked Love, um, but I fucking loved this again. And I felt like this had that kind of fucking same energy that irreversible had i haven't seen enter the void yet and i'm specifically not and or i stand alone just because i'm kind of wanting he doesn't make a lot of movies and i'm kind of wanting to keep a couple around because i like this director so much i think he's so interesting but this one kind of has that energy of the first half an hour of irreversible for the entire fucking movie and um it's it's pretty relentless shit and uh um, but it's it's about a it opens with a really fantastic dance number, a couple of them actually, which I thought was really well choreographed. And I'm like, yeah, I was didn't really know what to make of it because it's a Gaspar Noé movie, who's known for these like kind of dark, serious, hard hitting films. And it was like this huge like dance thing. But you know, I, you got it pretty quick. You were basically just learning about the characters and learning about their personalities kind of through their movements. Um, but then what happens is it's an after party for their dance rehearsal and someone spikes the punch with acid or LSD and people just start going bananas and, uh, and it just, it goes like <laughs> super dark, way worse than I yeah, would have ever imagined. And, uh, but I just, the fucking energy and the shots and like, like those, those shots of like, it just following a character, mm. like down all the halls and all this shit's going on. And, but you're still staying with this one person. And like, I just, I just, I just thought it was just this like assault on me. And, and I fucking loved that feeling. And, um, even the ending, which, you know, I thought was almost a little much, like it was a little too much. I still walked out of that thing just like completely like like I'd just been fucking run over um, by like my senses had just been completely overloaded, but in such a way that I was still able to follow what was going on, which I think is something that happens a lot of times with movies like this is they go so far into the artistic realm that they forget about plot and characters and all that stuff. Whereas this one did hold on to that. Like you were still able to kind of know what was going on and, and who it was happening to and care for some people to an extent, um, particularly uh, Sophia Bus- Butella. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I loved it. I loved the music. I, I loved the aesthetic. I loved everything about it. And I love every movie this guy's done. Yeah, no, I, I I enjoyed it. Like I, I I agree with you on that you feel like you're being assaulted. Yeah. Thing because you do. Like like 
the movie does start out like, you know, we get the video introductions of the characters yeah. kind of, and then the big dance sequence. You're like, okay, this can't be so bad. And then, yeah, it gets bad. It, it gets really bad. And, uh, and the it, constant music yeah, beating and yeah, yeah, the constant strobe lighting and, yeah. and just like darkness and fog and just screaming yeah. and, you know, there's always something going on where there'll be a middle of a conversation where there's people slagging other people in the room. And then in the background, there's other people having fucking meltdowns and, yeah, and yeah. just everything. Like there's always constant movement in the movie going on. And there is some dark, dark shit in this movie. I mean, I, I like it. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. it's just there was just something holding me back from loving it. And I think it had a lot to do with kind of that finale like you were talking like yeah there's certain ways this movie goes in the finale that i was just like i get what you're doing but i just it's not agreeing with me like the whole darkness angle that shows up yeah at one point and just some of the stuff he does i'm like it's an artistic decision and i respect the artistic decision but for me personally yeah, yeah. it didn't quite hit what i wanted it's not for many <laughs> but I, you're right it's 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 very much like one of my honorable mentions that I'm going to talk about later, it is not a mainstream movie. No. And it is not accessible to an audience who's not willing to be challenged. Yeah. And, and you know, and I'm glad I saw it on a big screen and I'm glad I took that challenge because it's the first movie I've seen by him as a director. Yeah. And I am intrigued to see the other stuff he's done. Yeah. And, you know, and that's that's something to say. Like, that's a good, you know, if I, if I can sit through this and I'm like, well... I've heard this isn't even the darkest thing he's made. So I'm like, well, I'm all in now. Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, I, I get it. I get why you're on that. I remember you were super fucking jazzed when we walked yeah, out of that yeah, theater. Awesome. So yeah. I understand. And, uh, you know, it's it's a just miss for me. But yeah. but I do recommend it still nice. for people who are into that kind of off-the-cuff renegade cinema. Yeah. I guess Because even he kind of calls his movies the French renegade. Yeah, in a it way. definitely is. And I love that we still have that, yeah. you know, it's just, there's so much, especially going to the theater. Right. Like I just find we don't have a lot of no. that. No. <laughs> so it's nice that there's still a couple of guys kicking around that can yeah. deliver the goods in that, in that area. Well, our number one's the same. It is. So we might as well just do it. Once you go. upon a time in Hollywood. Yeah. The ninth film from Quentin Tarantino. And like I said, if any year Tarantino puts a movie out, everyone else, in my opinion, is pretty much fucked for what my favorite <laughs> movie of the year is going to be because Tarantino's my favorite director of all yeah. time. So sorry, Parasite. If if Once Upon a Time in Hollywood wouldn't have come out this year, you would have been number one. But, uh, uh, you know, I know you and I, we, we fucking adore this movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, how could you not? Set in the 60s. In Hollywood, yeah, telling the story of a of a, a soon to be wa uh, on his way down actor played by Leonardo DiCaprio and his stunt double played by Brad Pitt, who cross paths with Sharon Tate and Charles Manson, among other things. Yeah, and you know it's this is like Tarantino's ultimate love letter to movie fandom and to Hollywood, yeah. but also giving it that angle of, hey, some bad shit went down in the late 60s, yeah. but doing it in an alternate reality yeah. kind of fairy tale-ish kind of vibe. And, uh, you know, I think you, I think you do benefit a lot from knowing 
backstory going into this of the Manson oh, stuff. Oh, you absolutely to be honest, do. Yeah, because I think you said that you had talked to someone who had seen the movie who didn't know it. I've talked to a number of people and that they didn't yeah, quite no. get as much out of it as we did. No. So I think if you're going to see this movie, you should maybe read, even just read the fucking Wikipedia page about Charles Manson. Totally, and, yeah. and then you'll get a little something out of it. But uh, it's like I said, I, I've always liked Leonardo DiCaprio, but I think even, I think he's kind of even upstaged in this by Brad Pitt because I think yeah. Brad Pitt's character, he's just the cool-ass stuntman, but he's also like just rugged and doesn't give a fuck, and he just kind of flies by the by the seam of his pants. And uh, I think he hasn't turned in a performance quite this good. And this is his career performance, I think. Well, I think, I think they both did amazing. Well, they both were amazing, but but I think I will say Pitt Pitt got all the cool scenes. Yeah. He got all the cool. Well, he got the Bruce, he got the Bruce Lee scene. He got the spawn ranch scene. Yeah. He got the, like a lot of the end stuff. Like, yeah, I mean, DiCaprio had the cool scenes too. He had that fucking, he had that scene with the with the uh, little girl actress on the set of that western. He, but the Spawn Ranch he, thing was well, next level, right? <laughs> well, he had the DiCaprio's meltdown, like his character's meltdown in his trailer. Yeah, when he was saying "You're a piece of shit, you suck," and all this, I thought that was frigging great too. Yeah, it was great, and, and I think even Margot Robbie was was pretty great as as Sharon Tate. Like she didn't have as much to do as those two, but just the scene where she goes and watches one of her movies on the theater yeah. when she goes up to ticket booth and she's like I'm in this movie and then everyone wants to take her picture and she's sitting in the theater and her scenes come up and she's got that big smile on her face and everything I think that's really was really like a good moment like a very you didn't have to say much about that character that's all you needed to know about that character yeah, and, that's that all, and that's what he was Tarantino was trying to do with her yeah he's trying to do a love letter to Sharon Tate as yeah. well yeah and she didn't need to do anything else, no. Margot Robbie. I mean, she did exactly what, you know, he, I feel like, and I don't know this for a fact, but I feel like what Tarantino was trying to do with Sharon Tate is get rid of that image of her fucking, like her crime scene photos of her right. with that rope around her neck and her pregnant belly yeah. bloodied up on the floor of, of right. 10050 CLO Drive. That used to be what I thought of when I thought of Sharon Tate. Now it's Margot Robbie. And I think that's what Tarantino was trying to do with that. Well, yeah, like you, like that's the thing you're taking something horrific and you're bending it to be something almost, you know, like not the actual act, but you're taking that person and making it from something in your brain where it's horrific to being something like angelic. Yeah. Angelic. Exactly. That's the word I was trying to pick up. Yeah. So I mean, and and the production design in this was amazing. Oh yeah, captured the era perfectly. Lots lots of references for nerds like us. Yeah, like so many references, and like I just loved all their like all the mock stuff he did, like the mock western show, which was a take of Wanted Dead or Alive with Steve McQueen, like right. Bounty Law. That was a total take of yeah. Wanted Dead or Alive, Steve McQueen. All of his like uh, Italian trailers the films for the italian movies he made like i think i was the only person in the theater when they're like directed by antonio margarini i was like <laughs> fucking right i think i was one of the only people who got that reference yeah. in the theater i was yeah. in i was like fucking antonio margarini that's awesome yeah yeah it's awesome you know, it's just it's just such a delight to sit through like i was just like fuck this is like i mean 
I can't put this above Pulp Fiction, but this is definitely number two for me. And, yeah. you know, for a guy who's on his ninth movie and he hasn't gone raw in my eyes ever. Yeah. I mean, I know for you it's a little bit more wary, but for me, he's never done anything wrong. And But for him to top even Django, which I was like, Django is pretty up there. That's a pretty great movie, too. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just because it's a love letter to Hollywood and... You know, us being the giant movie fans we are, I think it resonated a lot more for us personally. Yeah, you know, Tarantino is a director that I like, but I haven't watched his movies more than once. Yeah, I've watched them multiple. Like I've times. seen, I've seen, um, I've seen Res Dogs more than once. I think that's the only one. Yeah, I've all watched all of them in the theater once. So, um, you know, I think that's where. I'm struggle with him a little bit as I'd like, I should watch them more and I think I'd get more out of them. Yeah. Like I just, I just got the 4k of once upon a time for, for Christmas. I've watched that one more than once. And, and, I, and I'm <laughs> totally looking forward to diving back in. Cause it's yeah. also got like seven additional scenes included. And I just, so are those all the ones that they put on that Netflix cut? It could have been, but they're not, or did in- they do that yet? The Netflix they cut. did it in the states. I don't think. Oh no, doing... they put out a theatrical re-release yeah. with the extended scenes in it. That's the what scenes they... aren't included on the 4K, like on the Blu-ray or 4K. It's additional scenes, so they're separate. But, but the, those are the scenes. But though. I'm pretty sure those scenes because it's like 25 minutes of extra footage. Right. Nice. But I mean, I'm looking forward to that. But I'm just looking forward to revisiting the movie and, and picking up on all the stuff that's in there that I might've missed the first time around. Cause there's a lot of stuff yeah. in that. Like that's a movie that you probably have to chew on two to three times to get everything he's doing. And I've always said, you know, for my generation, it always felt like Tarantino was one of us. Yeah. And this is total proof. He's one of us. Yeah. This movie. Yeah. So, I mean, we don't usually have anything quite, the same on our list, but this is the second year where we've both had the same number one movie because yeah. we had the nice guys a couple years ago. Oh yeah. And, and you know, that's, that's awesome that we both could get the same movie and, and it to be such a fucking good movie. Yeah. Like this is once upon a time is probably in my top 20 all time for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, it, all I like time it, ever, all time ever. Yeah. Yeah. At the top 20, I could say that too. Well, I have to say top 20 because I, I still like Pulp Fiction more, but that's because Pulp Fiction has a lot of importance to me for introduce like Reservoir Dogs. I really liked, but when Pulp Fiction came along, I'm like, this guy's my director. Yeah. And anyway, and the influence of Pulp Fiction is undeniable, no matter what you think of that movie. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's never going to be able to get topped, but this came pretty damn close. I got to admit. Nice. So, yeah. Yeah. Great. So, uh, you have any honorable mentions or? I do not. Okay. I have a couple. I mean, you mentioned us and you mentioned one cut of the dead. Yeah. Uh, there's just a couple more movies that didn't quite make my list. One of them is Jojo Rabbit, the new <clears throat> Takai Watatiki movie, which is Scarlett Johansson's in that one. If you're wondering oh, what yeah, the other yeah, movie yeah. was, uh, that's just a very, um, that's just his satire on you know world war ii and nazi germany and that's a movie that either you loved it or you were upset by the subject matter you didn't like it and you know in that case you need to get over yourself i think because 
you know, it, it's what it is. It's a satirical look at World War II. He's not saying that the Nazis were any good. In fact, he made the Nazis look like fucking bumbling idiots, which is kind of what they were. But just, you know, just get over it. <laughs> um, right. Uh, the other one I have written down is, like you were talking about with Gaspar Noe and, and Climax and making saying something's not mainstream and totally not accessible to a mainstream audience, I got The Lighthouse, the new Robert Eggers oh, yeah. movie on here. Totally not accessible to a mainstream audience. Barely accessible to most people, to be honest with you. Just uh, Pat, Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe uh, getting drunk in a lighthouse in uh, black and white in a 119 scale frame, so it's claustrophobic as fuck. And stuff goes down, and it gets more and more bizarre as it goes on, and fuck, man. It's a trip. It's a total trip. And then the last one I wrote down was The Art of Self-Defense, because I, mm. I really enjoyed that, and I thought it was really dark and fun and uh, quite a surprise. I think that's my hidden gem for the for the year actually nice because that's when i wasn't sure what to expect and i ended up walking out going yeah that was way better than i thought it would be and i really enjoyed it so those are my honorable mentions groovy uh let's see uh there's a couple movies i i wanted to just mention that i missed that i haven't got around to yet Mm, but i have feel like have a potential to make my list in the future when i revise it (laughs) um well midsummer was one yeah that'll probably make your list um I keep you put a hereditary on your list, I think. I think I did, yeah. Yeah. Um, I keep meaning to watch The Irishman, but that running time is Ugh. scaring me. That three and a half hours is scaring the shit out of me. So I really want to watch it before Golden Globes, and I'm just like, Fuck. I know. I, I, it's the running time. Yeah. It's not the fact that I don't like the director or the cast or anything. It's just that running time. Ugh, it just I mean, seems I, boring. I, I think the best thing about it being on Netflix is you could take a break, I guess. You can have your own intermission. I guess. I don't know, man. I, I know. I feel like I should watch it, but normally I would never. It's like most people I know <laughs> who've seen it have really loved it. But the, even the premise, I'm just like, it sounds boring. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Um, and then uh, I'm curious about Joker. I'm curious, too. That was on my anticipated list for the year. I mean, I wanted to, I've, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it, but I, I'm, I'm not sure. It seems like people are very mixed on it. Either you love it or you're kind of, eh. I mean, it looks like a taxi driver riff, to be honest with you, in a way. I don't I, like Joaquin. That's why I really do. So that's yeah. why I'm kind of, I'm like Joaquin Phoenix in a, in a comic book based movie. I might be in on this. But again, yeah. Todd Phillips directing, I'm kind of like, I don't know. Yeah. So that's one I thought. And then the last one is Uncut Gems. The uh, the new film from the Safdie brothers who made Good Times a couple years ago, Good Time a couple years ago, which I really liked. This is the total crime movie starring Adam Sandler, which I'm like, I want to see an Adam Sandler movie. It's not a comedy. (laughs) It's just basically a dark crime movie where things go wrong for him consistently, and but judging from Good Time, it's going to be an intense dark movie and i'm pissed off at a24 right now because this movie got a wide release in america didn't get released in theaters in canada Mm. our option is we get to watch it on netflix on january 31st okay so i'm kind of annoyed about that because a24 hasn't done this to us adam sandler dude yeah i know really i'm stunned myself it looks good and it's getting a lot of good praise (laughs) And I liked their last movie quite a bit. 
Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to anticipated. Well, let's just review just in case anyone. Okay. Um, so my top five from five to one, five was us. Four was one cut of the dead. Three was midsummer. Two is climax. One is once upon a time in Hollywood. Okay. And my five was marriage story. My four was book smart. My three was knives out. My two was parasite. And my one was once upon a time in Hollywood. All right. Now, how about anticipated? What do you got? Oh, fuck, man. I got to (laughs) say, like, I know you talk about how this year was easy for you. Like, I am finding it fucking harder and harder and harder to go to the theater. Like, I love going to the repertory theater. I support, like, the Rio and the Cinematheque. And, like, even Cineplex's, like, flashback series. I don't want to sound like I'm old or whatever, but... I am finding it fucking hard to find anything playing at Cineplex that I want to see. And looking at this next year, like I'm just like fucking it. it, Talk about remakes and reboots and lack of originality. Like, fuck. It's like top gun, bad boys, the fucking conjuring birds of prey fucking godzilla and king kong the jungle cruise then we get into video games with uncharted then we have fucking ghostbusters coming back like i'm just so tired and like looking at all this i'm just like come on so i'm sorry i i'm i'm trying not to be too down but i love the theatrical experience and i am feeling not good about this at all well you see my problem is I agree with you in some respects in the fact that most of the stuff that I watched this year that I really loved was hard to see in theaters. Yes. And a lot of the stuff that's on my list for next year for anticipated are going to be hard to see in theaters, I think. And this is what I don't like. I love going to the movies. It's the problem is that (laughs) Disney has a monopoly on the movies. It's killing me. And people will watch what's forced upon them. Instead of trying to seek out other stuff. So I think that's why I said I had a good year this year. Because I actually sought out stuff this year. Like I actually made... Like I managed to find a way to see Parasite in theaters. Because it got a wider release than I was expecting and things like that. But then that's why I didn't get to see Uncut Gems. Because it didn't get to play in theaters. But the other thing is with these (laughs) lists that we do every year... I find most of the stuff that goes on my list at the end of the year is not anticipated. Well, my it's num- just shit that gets yeah. picked up throughout the year on the festival circuit that somehow ends up in my lap or ends up on Netflix or ends up on DVD or whatever, right? Um, but like when I'm looking, just like last year, when I'm looking at like the stuff that's coming out that's already announced. Yeah, it is slim pickings. Well, my two of my anticipated from last year made my top five this year. Two of them? One of mine did. Knives Out and, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. We're both on my anticipated last year. So yeah. that's pretty good, I think. Yeah. Like, that's 40%. That's pretty good. So that's but I mean, good. you go to the movies a lot more than me, too. Yeah. So I also have to, like, motivate myself to go alone, right? right. I have to go to the movies by myself most of the time. Right. So it's really got to be something I want to see to push myself to do that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I do think, or if it plays at like the local theater here, um, 
but a lot of the stuff I think that was on your list is stuff I would probably go to with someone. Right. Um, I just wouldn't go on my own. Like, and I don't know if you would either. Right. I mean, some of those things. So, well, yeah, but like, probably not. I, yeah. So I I think that does make a difference. I found that when I went to the theaters this year by myself, it was mostly just like repertory matinees. Yeah. Like I went and saw Smokey and the Bandit by myself this year. I went and saw Monty Python's Life yeah. of Brian by myself, you know? Like but like the the newer movies, like the twenty nineteen movies, I don't think I would have gone and seen a lot of them by myself. Like right. you know, I wouldn't have gone and seen Parasite by myself. Yeah. I probably wouldn't have, I pr- the only one on my top five that I honestly can tell you that if I had no other option than to go by myself would have been Tarantino. Yeah. And that's the problem. Like, I mean, there's a lot of people I could go see fucking birds of prey with yeah or ghostbusters but um the stuff i'm interested in is just not that right right so there's like i'm not saying there's no opportunity to ever go to the cinema again because there certainly is it's just not the kind of thing that gets me excited right well <laughs> and i I'm, I'm bummed about that well i've got like 10 things for anticipated now i've got some stuff too. so why don't we why don't we go through that and see what happens all right so um who wants to start whatever i'll start um the first thing i have written down is actually coming out in two weeks um it's the only reason I'm kind of anticipating is because I think it might be fun. Much like I had fun with Crawl recently, I think this could be fun. It's a movie called Underwater. Yeah, it's on my list it's, too. It's an aquatic horror movie, like a creature feature, uh, starring Kirsten Stewart and T.J. Miller. And the trailer makes it look like it could be pretty fun. And, you know, I'm always down with, like, monsters rampaging on the bottom of the ocean floor or whatever. I, I'm down with that. And, you know, I, I liked Life from a couple of years ago yeah. and that was like kind of a, a monster movie in the same similar vein it seems to me so I might actually go check this out just because I think it would be fun I'll go check it out I mean Vincent Cassell's also in the cast um, I just find I usually let down by these because I think if it was truly a creature feature where there was an actual practical monster running around then yeah but I mean I kind of when I look at this, I was thinking of the Meg, which I still have not seen. Not good. But that's what I was thinking yeah. of. I'm like, oh, this should be good in theory, but I bet you it's not going to be. Well, and um, T.J. Miller like concerns me as well. Like, yeah, I mean, he's uh, under a fucking flurry of controversy these days because of his little like um, bomb threat stunt. So he might not even... Is he going to jail? Like, do you know? No idea. Yeah, like, I don't know what's going on with him, but whenever there's a comedian in a cast like this, i.e. Meg... Right. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit, here we go. And so his him being in this cast worries me quite a bit. Well, the thing is, like, I, I agree with you on practical effects, but, I mean, Crawl didn't have practical effects particularly. Yeah. And that worked for me. So I think this might be more along yeah, those lines. Whereas, we don't know enough about what it is. Whereas Meg didn't work for me because it was just, yeah, it was a, it was a, a, a Chinese funded, big budget, over the top, not very good monster movie. This is more lower scale, under the water. You never know. It, it I mean, I'm not expecting it to be like top five material or anything like that. I'm just wanting to have a little bit of fun. Yeah. And I'm hoping that's what it can deliver. So that's yeah. why I wrote it down. Nice. Um, another one I've written down is The Lodge. 
Yeah. It's finally going to get some release. Yeah. Uh, this is from Severin Fiala and Veronica Franz, who made a, a movie I really love called Good Night Mommy. Right. Uh, like in 2014. Um, it looks creepy as fuck. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't know too much about it from the uh, from the trailer particularly. I just know Alicia Silverstone's in a horror movie and that kind of Alicia me. Silverstone's in that? Yeah. Really? Yeah, she's third build. Oh, wow. And it, it kind of intrigues me that she's in it. Huh. And uh, like I said, it looks very stylish and creepy. It's set in the snow. You yeah. Know? I think it's got potential. I mean, I don't know what it's about particularly, but I think it's probably got some potential. When he, anywhere that's like kind of like uh, isolated due to the elements freaks, yeah. freaks me the fuck out. Right. You know, and uh, I think it looks pretty good, too. Okay. So that was on yours, too? That was on mine, too. Okay, my next one is The Invisible Man. Yeah, I broke down and watched the trailer because I I, I, I kind of had to because I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth Moss, what can I say? Well, and Lee Winnell. Yeah. So I, 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 that trailer is pretty good. I think where they're going with this is very interesting. I didn't, I had no idea, right? Yeah. Part of me is kind of like, fuck, Josh. Damn you. Because, like, I literally had right. no idea what, right. what this was. And now, of course, I have a pretty good idea what the premise is. Well, I think after Upgrade, yeah, I was pretty much on board for whatever yeah. Lee Winnell was going to do next. But for him to do this retelling of The Invisible Man and having Elizabeth Moss as the lead, yeah, I'm like, how can you really go wrong with that, particularly? So is it based on the Universal Universe? It's based on the H.G. Wells novel. Okay. But I mean, I think it's, I think it was like, they were like, oh, fuck the dark universe. And then Blumhouse is like, well, why don't we let Lee Winnell make an Invisible Man movie? Okay. And I was like, I'm like, well, Verhoeven fucked it up with Hollow Man. So maybe he could do it right. Maybe. But I think the trailer's pretty friggin' great. Yeah. I think the idea that he's bringing to the table is, is really like good for that kind of a uh, type of movie. And I think it's going to work. I, I have really high hopes for it. I do too. I just, it's, it's exactly why I don't watch trailers. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I know, but I do have high hopes for it. Yeah, I do too. I think Um, it'll be good. You want to do one now? Sure. Um, uh, Late Late Night in Soho. Yep. That's on mine. Um, Directed by Edgar Wright. Um, I, I, I really want to love Edgar Wright. I don't, but, um, um, but he's one of those guys that I think, can be great if he wants to be and i think the fact that he is not going for comedy on this one i don't believe is is what intrigues me about it um so this is i don't know much about it i know it stars anya taylor joy uh from um the witch um i also noticed that um matt smith from doctor who is is one of the leads and like third or fourth build is Diana Reagan, Terrence Stamp, um, which normally would concern me, but not with an Edgar Wright movie. Um, so I think he's got a really pretty great cast here, depending on what's going on. I also know it's got a bit of like time travel yep. stuff going on and including stuff set in the sixties. Yeah. And I also know it's a horror movie. Yep. And um, I think, I think if anything is going to, if anything interests me, this one interests me more than anything this year, 
from the the kind of more mainstreamy stuff for sure. Well, it's definitely got a it's got that intriguing elements about it because not much has been revealed. Yeah. And you know, I'm kind of down with him making a movie about time travel yeah. and 60s London and yeah. it being a horror movie. Yeah. And I do like Anya Taylor-Joy quite a bit. Yeah. Like I've liked her in pretty much everything I've seen her in. Yeah. So I'm just like I even liked her in that friggin' uh Morgan movie that wasn't very good. I even liked her in that from a couple of years ago. But I, I think I like Edgar Wright more than you. Like I, I, know, I, I like Edgar Wright. I no, just, but I mean, I like I tend to like his movies more than you. I know that. Yeah. Like I liked Baby Driver quite a bit more than you. And, oh yeah. You know, I love Scott Pilgrim. Like Scott Pilgrim yeah. is like one of those movies I can just throw on at any time yeah. and 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 enjoy. But uh, I think this is a, I think this is him being a bit more ambitious. In some yeah. ways, and I'm I'm interested for yeah. sure. Yeah, for sure. I did write that down. Nice. What else you got? Um, you're not gonna agree with me, but I got Halloween Kills. Yeah, I'm I'm on the fence. I um I, I am on the fence too, but uh, I I really liked the last one. It wasn't like my favorite movie of the year or anything, well, no. but I did like I the, did like it. I too. did like the direction it went. So I am curious about this. Jamie Lee Curtis is returning. David Gordon Green is returning in the director's chair. I think the writers are both returning. Anthony Michael Hall's in it. Anthony Michael Hall is the question mark for me. Yeah. <laughs> he's I, the one where I was like, he's playing Tommy. Um, so I guess the little boy Tommy from, Jarvis? from the no, original. Oh, wait. Tommy Jarvis is Tommy Friday Doyle, 13th. I think. Tommy Doyle. Yeah. Jarvis is Friday the 13th. Yeah. Um, no, I'm the reason I'm on the fence is because I really don't think they should have made a sequel in the first place that's the only reason i'm on the fence but it was open for a sequel i know but i just think they should have just left it Hmm. i mean that's me though that's me and my i don't really like sequels that much but i'll fucking watch 10 children of the corn movies that's kind of (laughs) you know the thing i like about this is that it's a pretty definitive trilogy yeah so i'm okay with that like when you're saying that right pretty much off the bat they're doing two more. That's it. So yeah. They, well, I guess so they say. Well, so they say. We'll see how. I think it's time for a lot of these guys, these villains, just to die, though. Yeah. And be gone. <laughs> In a way. Um, so speaking of speaking of kind of spiritual sequels and reboots and stuff, there is one on my list, and I'm intrigued just because of the involvement. Um, I'm kind of intrigued by the new Candyman that's coming out. Totally. Because uh, Jordan Peele's producing it, and they're taking it back to that original rundown Chicago neighborhood that the first movie took place in. And like I think that could really lend a lot to this universe, like to the Candyman character, because I think they can do a lot of parallels with it being set in like kind of a ghetto-type environment again. And I think that's what made the first movie so unique, was that setting and i think taking it back to that setting is gonna put a lot more back like i love the original Candyman, but the sequels i'm kind of right so this one taking it back to the original location i think is going to be really interesting and the fact that jordan peele came out when he announced they were gonna kind of do one and was like straight out said this isn't a reboot we're not trying to piss anybody off I think that was a good thing for him to say. And that's kind of what got me on board with it to begin with. Yeah. You know, and and it's, 
It's directed by uh, Nia DaCosta, who is a she's a, a woman of color who is making a horror movie, and and that's intriguing too because you don't see a lot of that either. So I'd like to see the take on that because. But I who watched, is she? What's she done? Uh, she made a movie called uh, I can't remember what it's called now. She's Little Woods, I think it was called, which is kind of a a modern take on. Uh, almost on Robin Hood in a way where it's about two women who just steal what they want to try and get by. Yeah. It sounds pretty good. Yeah. But I mean, I'm just intrigued because you don't see that a lot. I mean, and, and you know, there's some really good women directors working in the genre right now, like Karen Kasama with the invitation and, and things like that. So I, I'm, I want to see where this is going to go. Like I'm, I'm quite intrigued by it. Well, the other thing with this is, oh God, I don't really like the original Candyman. So oh, okay, well, I mean, it's okay, but it's never yeah. really struck me. It's never right. been an iconic movie to me. Right. I mean, it was cool, but like, I it just so for me, this is that's the kind of movie you want to remake. Is one that right maybe didn't quite hit the way it totally should. Now, I think I'm in the minority. But I think I, you are, yeah. But is that only because it was a really good movie in the 90s where there was pretty much shit through the rest of the decade? I've seen it since the 90s, and I still like it a lot. So. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, who knows? I mean, I hate the Goonies, and a lot of people seem to love that. Yeah. So, who knows? Um, I wrote down Antlers. Yeah. The new movie from Scott Cooper, who made uh, Black Mass, Hostiles, Crazy Heart, among other things. I just think it's interesting to see him making a horror movie. Yeah. With like mutated kind of monsters living in a mine and the kid who feeds them. Plus, it was filmed around this area, so maybe I'll notice some landmarks or something. <laughs> but I, I think it'll be a lot of fun. I, I'm, it's a Wendigo I, movie. Huh? It's a Wendigo movie. Is it? Yeah. The only thing I'm kind of... I think it is. The thing I'm kind of a little bit sketchy about is I don't know about from what I've the clips I've seen of it. I'm not sure if the C, how the CG is going to be. That's my only. It's concern. never as good in the trailer as it is in the final movie. So. Well, I know. So that's the only concern yeah. I have. But I think it looks like it will be like an enjoyable time. I think it'll be one of those horror movies that might exceed expectations this year. Yeah. So. Cool. Um, uh, for someone who like is not that into all these big mainstream things, um, I am putting fucking No Time to Die on my list, the new Bond. I think that's just because I'm so used to looking forward to Bond movies um, that it's almost like habit. Although when I watch the trailer, I'm really not that into into it. The only thing that's saving this movie for me is that it's the last Daniel Craig Bond movie. I thought he's done a pretty good job. And I really liked the direction Spectre was going in, um, as opposed to Skyfall. But I feel like they're going to go back in that born Skyfall direction than the kind of more campy Spectre direction. But honestly, this is 25th Bond movie. I feel like it could be my last time I'm going to actually enjoy a Bond movie because I just feel like... I feel Bond is just so far off of what I loved when I was a kid um, 
that I just kind of want to have one last hurrah. And I'm hoping that that's what they do with this one. I'm hoping that they kind of make it an homage and then maybe put that to bed and move forward with your new whatever bond that you want to make more mature or whatever the fuck that they're wanting to do female whatever i just feel (laughs) like whatever they're gonna do isn't probably gonna be like what i've kind of loved i mean honestly i haven't liked loved bond movies since roger moore left i mean that was my that was my Mm. um franchise was that period and whenever i think of bond that's what i love and I, I see glimmers of that somewhere from here, you know, in the movie subsequent to him. And, um, you know, I do like some of the action set pieces and stuff. But honestly, I have I've not really loved a Bond movie since Roger Moore. And um, yeah, so it's kind of disappointing. I But I do kind of feel like it's the end of an era. And it is it's a big one. It's 25. I mean, is it the only franchise that's made it that far? I think it might be. Yeah, so, I don't even think even witchcraft has got that high. Yeah, like the Avengers <laughs> movies, I guess, maybe have done that. I don't even know if they got that high. But it's a big deal, I think. So, yeah. Um, so it's kind of a bittersweet addition to my list, I think. And But I'm hoping it'll be great. I mean, I do. Well, my next one is one that I have just because of partial nostalgia, partial curiosity, Partial the fact that I I really enjoy the other films in the series. I wrote Bill and Ted Face the Music down. Really? Yeah. And I think it's because I had such a fun time watching those movies even recently. Yeah. That I'm like, well, maybe if Keanu and Alex Winter can recapture that dunderheaded stupidity. And, and, you know, you've got back... uh, Bill Sadler is the Grim Reaper. Yeah. I'm like, maybe there's something there that's going to work for me. Yeah. I mean, and, and the people they've cast to be their daughters, I'm actually, I like both of the actors. Like, I like Samara Weaving, who oh, yeah. was in Ready or Not this year. Yeah. And I like Bridget, Bridget Lundy Rennie, who was in uh, the show Atypical. I really liked her in that show. Okay. So, I mean, it's it's possible. I mean, I'm not expecting it to be amazing, but if it can deliver some of the Bill and Ted that I love, I'll be happy. And I'm pretty sure, I think the original writers are back on board for this one, too, okay. if I read correctly. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you never know. You never yeah. know. It could, it could be good or it could be a hot tub time machine, too. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Right. Um, I'm curious about the new Dune um, from Denis yeah, I kind of Villeneuve. Um, I think if anyone could pull this off, it's him. I'm not familiar with the source material. I did see the original Dune in the theater back in the day, um, and I it still kind of struck stuck in my mind in like some scenes from that movie. So I mean, I think if anyone can do an epic like this, uh, especially a sci-fi one, it's this guy. Um. But who knows, right? I mean, this has been a notoriously difficult yeah. project to get happening, um, right from the from the pretty much for since but the book was written, right? So yeah, we'll see, and we'll see. It. Can this guy make this interesting? Because David Lynch couldn't. Well, so. I guess it all sort of depends on how you liked his Blade Runner too. 
And I, I didn't like his Blade Runner, but so, I loved the way it looked. So, I mean, he, he'll at least nail the visuals, probably. He's nailed the, he'll nail the visuals, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. I like him as a director. I'm curious, too. I mean, I think that Dune itself, the overlying universe and story, I think it might be a little bit too sci-fi for me, personally. Yeah, I agree. But, I mean, I, I, I might be willing to give it a shot. You never know. You never know how that's going to turn out. I mean, yeah. I think, if anything, it's going to look good. Yeah. Um, I have a movie written down called Possessor, which is the new Brandon Cronenberg film. If it comes out, yeah. If it comes out. Um, it sounds pretty interesting and it's got JJL in it. So yeah. how can you go wrong? I mean, she was in her, his dad's movie existence. So let him, let's have her in, in his son's movie. Yeah. Um, I like the premise about, uh, an agent in a secret or- organization using brain implants to kind of possess other people's bodies and turn them into assassins. Yeah. I think that's a pretty intriguing premise. Like I think it'll be, it could be fun or it could just be kind of messed up. Yeah. So, not having seen antiviral, I'm not quite sure what kind of, what kind of, uh, what side of the fence he falls on. Yeah. I'm assuming it's more on his father's messed up side than the comedic or whatever side. So, but I'm intrigued. I think that I think the premise sounds pretty original. Yeah. So that's why I wrote that one down. I have two more. How many more you got? Yeah, I got a few more, but you might knock them off. Um, I have Gretel and Hansel. Yeah. The new movie by Oz Perkins, who made Black Coat's Daughter, which I really loved. Uh, it's a take on the classic fairy tale Hansel and Gretel obviously I just think it could be interesting or dark or I'm not sure how he's going to do it I mean his movies are notoriously slow burns but I don't think he's going to do that with this movie but it's hard to say right Right. and I'm pretty sure Alice Krieg from Sleepwalkers is playing like the evil witch really and that's some that's some pretty inspired casting if you ask me yeah so we'll see how that pans out Nice. Uh, this is kind of an outlier, but I am going to throw Fantasy Island on the list. Yeah, I'm not interested, um, to be I just, honest. I kind of like some of the stuff that Blumhouse has been doing, and I do like high-concept stuff um, where... Okay, so here's here's the thing with this one. Okay, first of all, the director, Jeff Wadlow. Um, no, that's not really a selling point. What, Cry big, Wolf is not a selling point. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Um, that was actually not a good thing. But the thing that got me on this one is when I put on the trailer, it had the fucking music from Body Double, who was the trailer. <laughs> it was... <laughs> So you're like, I'm in. It, it was the fantasy music for Body Double. And I was like, oh, shit. Um, this had to have been a conscious move. It had to. Like, it just had to. Like, that's the only place I know that song from is from Body Double. So I'm like, okay. Um, and I do like the idea of, I like kind of like gin movies. Like, you know, where, where, where there's like an, a genie or whatever that can grant a wish. But like, if you fuck up when you're phrasing how you're, asking for that wish i mean i guess it sounds like that wish upon movie which i did not see not good i like i just like that concept and i just think this could be kind of fun 
Depends. You know, if if there's wishes going on and there's no Andrew Devoff, Andrew Devoff there, I'm not sure if I can handle it. <laughs> there's no Andrew Devoff, but there's uh, what whatever his name is, the guy from Chips, Michael Pena. Yeah, he's good. But um, anyway, I'm not expecting this to be on my top five by any stretch of the imagination, but it might be kind of fun. Um, um, I also. <laughs> I also wrote down, I've got a few more here. I wrote down Synchronic, the new uh, movie from uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who have been like three for three, in my opinion. Um, And this one's about designer drugs um, being used in New Orleans and a couple of, and some cops trying to track down the source. Uh, I think it's a departure for them, but knowing them, it'll also have all this weird other stuff going on. But man, they're, these guys are super interesting filmmakers, so I'm stoked about that one. Also, um, After Midnight uh, by Jeremy Gardner and Christian Stella, um, guys who did The Battery. Um, I loved that movie, and this is really the first thing of note since that um, has come out, and I'm cu- pretty curious about this one as well. I've got a couple more. I have one more, so you can do another one. Um, another one... Um, is I'm just curious. I, I'm putting Veronica, the new movie from director Glenn Danzig. Oh, I, I, but it's more of just a curiosity than anything. And then the last one I'll mention is um, it's just one that um, one of our listeners, Adam, mentioned on our group. And um, I've been trying to track this fuck down since he's mentioned it, and I cannot find it. It's from 2017. It's a Thai movie, and I don't know how to get it. I don't know if it's if it's still in like distribution hell and is going to eventually get released here. I'm kind of crossing my fingers, but it's a movie called The Pool, and it's about um, a couple that get trapped in a abandoned swimming pool where they can't get out because it's six meters deep, and then a um, an alligator is entered enters into the pool as well. So they're trapped in this basically this pit with an alligator, and it just looks fascinating to me. And I'm uh, I so want to see this movie, but I can't for the life of me figure out how. Crawl to the pool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have one more left, and I'm not. I don't even think this is going to come out in 2020. But when I looked, it was slated for 2020. Um, it's the new. It's even untitled. That's got to tell you why I don't think it's going to come out. It's the new uh, Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Mm. That's due to come out. The only reason that I'm anticipating it is just because it's set in the 70s in California. It's set in a high school, and it follows a high school student who's also a very successful child actor. Oh, nice. So I'm really into when Paul Thomas Anderson does the 70s. I mean, come on, Boogie Nights. I mean, I'm down with that premise. And there's no casting or anything right now. So I'm really not thinking it's going to come out this year. Right. But I'm totally into the idea of him making a <laughs> California 70s high school movie with a kid, a child actor. Like I'm, I'm down with that premise, like heavy. So it'll be about a child actor. It's going to be about like a, a, a successful child actor in high school, how he deals with high school and stuff, I guess, in fame. Oh, weird. Okay. And it's set in the seventies, California. So how can you go wrong? Yeah. Like really, we'll see how it works out, but I'm, I'm not expecting it this year, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. That wasn't even on my radar. 
There, there was one more I actually will bring up just because I thought you were going to bring this one up, but it's called I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Oh, okay. And it's from Charlie Kaufman, who hasn't yeah, really yeah. done anything since uh, yeah. being John Malkovich. Um, and stars Tony Collette, who's and, been on a bit of a role yeah, lately. It's written by uh, the book's written by Ian Reed, who's a uh, Canadian author. Yeah, it's a pretty messed up book. Yeah, I think it could work. Yeah, that one def- definitely intrigued me as well. So yeah. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see if any of these. I mean, I know some of them will hit the local multiplex, but uh, I think at least half of mine are going to be a bit more of a challenge to even see. Well, I think uh, I think the same with me. I don't think yeah. Uh, I don't think you're going to see a wide release for some of these. I'm pretty sure you're not going to see a wild release for some of these. Not the way things are going in theaters no. these days. So, I mean, I'm pretty sure The Lodge is going to be super limited when it finally comes out. Right. Um, I even... Possessor's definitely going to be limited. Gretel and Hansel will be limited. You know, I think the biggest... I think the movie that's going to get the biggest release out of everything on mine is probably... Bill and Ted, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I, we know Underwater is coming out to the theaters, so... Yeah, but, I mean, how long is it going to be in theaters? I, I don't, don't know, but support that shit, people. Let's get more of those. And, and I got to be completely <laughs> I gotta be completely honest with you. It's not written on my list, but I got to admit that after watching the Red Band trailer, I'm kind of intrigued. The new Grudge movie actually looks pretty good. No! Yeah. Really? Yeah, it actually doesn't look too bad from the Red Band trailer that I saw. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I hate to say it, but... It Is look... it Japanese? No. Huh. No, it's an American movie. Is it a Japanese little boy running around, or... They don't show any ghosts in this in oh, okay. trailer particularly, so possibly? Oh, my God. It's got Lin Shay in it. <laughs> She's in everything. <laughs> no, I think the trailer actually looked pretty good, so who knows? Interesting. I mean, I don't like the American Grudge movies particularly. But I've never even seen them. I don't think I've seen the... I think I saw the first Japanese one. The first one's good. It was okay. I don't know. I'm not really into... Those Japanese ghost stories, I'm kind of like... Hey. Yeah, not me neither. But I, I didn't put it on my anticipated, but I am saying it doesn't look too bad. All right. So we'll go... That's well, I'll throw in Escape Room too while we're at it. Ooh, Escape Room too. <laughs> Woo! I was a, yeah, yeah. You liked it. I didn't mind it. It yeah. was okay. It was okay. You liked it more than me. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm. I, I wouldn't. I, anticipation is not really I didn't the word. Hate it. <laughs> but then again, I didn't hate Unfriended, but I didn't rush out to watch Unfriended no, Dark Web. Me neither. <laughs> so, anyhow, um, here's where we say goodbye for the first episode of 2020. Um, why don't you share with us your lists from 2019 on our facebook group just search for gbw podcast we also have a twitter and an instagram if you want to look at that stuff although we barely use twitter because twitter is just a a cesspool of hatred it seems most (laughs) of the time um ratings and reviews on anywhere you listen to podcasts apple music stitcher all that stuff most importantly join in our discussion group we love interacting with everybody and you know learning about new movies and things like that uh and uh Tell a friend, most importantly, if you like the show. And that's it. So here's to a cracking 2020. All right. Good night. Good night.